2: Welcome to the Chelsea fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by celery, the show that was positively buzzing to be back at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Uh, if you believe the media and the venal morass that is social media, there is a swathe of Chelsea supporters who are utterly disgruntled with Chelsea so far this season under the management of Frank Lampard, seemingly validated by Lamp. sorry, hashtag Lampard out, trending on Twitter. Uh, If you were at the match and in the pubs beforehand on Sunday, then you will know that nothing could be further than the truth. When I turned up to the cock on Sunday before the match, it was mobbed. You could barely move inside or, or, or even in the garden where we hang out. Everyone was happy. Everyone was buzzing. But more important, everyone was both supportive of Frank and the players and philosophical about the current state of the Chelsea nation. This was backed up by the loudest support at home at the start of the match than I've heard for ages. Yes, the result didn't go our way, and the second-half performance left a lot to be desired. But if you really want to know how Chelsea supporters feel about Frank, the team, and this season, then the chance of Super Frankie Lampard at the end of the match should tell you. To the media and the cretins on social media, open your fucking ears and eyes. We are backing Frank, whatever happens, and he will not be getting sacked after a draw at home to Leicester. We're not Arsenal or United. We're better than that. The Chelsea Fancast number 468. Welcome home, Super Frank. JK, it's not often that I uh, go off on one immediately uh, on the show, but I have to say I felt largely compelled to. But anyway, good evening, dear boy. It was lovely to see you. Straight after the game yesterday. It was excellent, wasn't it? It was.
0: We made a little film together. We did, didn't which, we? we? We made a movie. Which I've posted up. And, yeah. Uh, I don't think I will put the right labels on it, because I think people only saw the 45-second one. But never mind. I we're learning. It, we're learning. No, I put we're it, like, I put yes, it, it on the website, good, mate. Put it on the website. Good stuff. Good tip. T- that was the element of a rant there, Chidge. I liked it. Was, it was. Already. It. Already. Got going. I know. It's rare we have a rant at the opening paragraph.
2: I know, but I felt I felt like that. and I'll tell you why. Uh, I'll tell you why after I've uh, introduced our uber, uber guest, which is the absolute... I've missed this man's voice in my ears for the last month or two. <laughs> How the devil... I mean, what I should say to everybody, actually, What one thing that we have done, uh, I've finally done, is that I've got everybody who, who does the fan cast with us. We've all got our own little WhatsApp group. So it's, it's lovely, actually, because it means we keep in touch far more than we were, were doing beforehand, particularly if, you know, we're not around. Um, so I've, I've spoken to Joe on uh, on WhatsApp, but it's lovely to hear your dulcet tones, my friend. How the devil are you?
1: Yeah, really well, Chich. I mean, you could have just on a mic drop after that opening and just called it a day for the podcast, I think. <laughs> well,
2: jolly good, I could retire. <laughs> but I mean it, mate. I mean, I think, I mean, basically, I think it's largely due to the fact that I was stupidly in fact, I shall tell you the truth, people. I was listening to Talk Sport this morning because I kind of wake up. It's my alarm. So, And, you know, that Sky Sports, wherever I bloody turn to in terms of sport radio, there seems to... We'll talk about this in more detail later, but it was just clear they have an agenda trying to, you know, oh, you know, it'll, it'll not last. You know, Perry fucking Groves. He should know better. I know Perry, actually, and he's a decent bloke, funnily enough. You'd never have thought so, but I, he's great fun. Spouting the most appallingly stupid shit why don't they actually go and talk to supporters not one I mean you know not one of who I drink with and go to the games with had anything other than you know it is what it is we'll wait you know we're patient we're not going to get on his back so there you go and I, I, I if, if we don't stop stop me now I might explode so I shall get on with <laughs> the show right on the show tonight uh we are going to discuss uh, a very good 25 minutes and a second rate 65 minutes. But was it down to a state of exhaustion after extra time in the Super Cup final? And this is going to be great fun. We'll be hearing from Lee Scott, who is from TotalFootballAnalysis.com. Uh, and he's a scout and a, a, an analyst. He knows his tactics inside out. And he, he I did a quick interview with him earlier today. And he's going to explain to us, and as, as he did to me, the pros and cons of zonal marking. Uh, In part two, we take a step back and we look at some of the good and less good performances and ask, was Willian shocking or rusty? And where are we on the uh, the Frank Lampard evolutionary curve? Uh, In part three, uh, we ask, what are the media up to with their agenda against Lampard? As much as I was moaning on about a minute ago. And what is really going on with social media when the match-going support... uh, And, you know, I'm not just saying the match-going support. I know a lot of people who don't go to matches are equally... Uh, supportive, but uh, certainly the match-going support seems very re- resolute. Uh, we also say, well done to Ashley Cole, who has announced his retirement this weekend, and in part four uh, we have lots of parish notices, lots of good charitable and worthy causes to plug, and lots of your emails to read out. There's six tonight. I can't wait. Now, uh, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday, 7pm, by going to mixlrmixlrcom forward slash Chelsea-Fancast, where of course you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. And you can also tweet at Chelsea fancast during the show. Tell us what you think about the games and anything else on the Chels. Uh, and uh, I'm delighted to see that um, we've doubled our uh, listeners uh, since we've been on air. Um, I don't know. Well, where, where they? there were so many last week, maybe maybe they, maybe we got all, lots of new uh, listeners, Jonathan, and they realised how shit we are, so they've like not, <laughs> not bothered to turn up this week. I'm all for that, you know. Um, but uh, I should say we have uh, Matt Kalita, lovely English Dan Seven, Loco Coco Pops, which is definitely my favourite name uh, in the Mixler chat room. We've got Andy Roo. Uh, the lovely Mark Aurelius 13, not shy of an opinion, is Mark Aurelius 13. Breedzy, uh, Rob Coombe, Sean B., Shed Upper Man, Kev M., Glide Light, like Bogo, Wise Dennis, Adam Finnegan, the lovely Claire McConnell, uh, McConnell, who I will be seeing in a few weeks' time. I can't wait. Uh, MHL, Pete Jack, CFC 1996, Benji Toe, Bob Uzure, Jonathan Perez, uh, so many. Great to see you all in here. Uh, I'll try and read some of your stuff out as the show goes on, if uh, if I can manage, because you know I'm old, so doing two things at the same time is quite hard for me. But I will try. Anyway, after this little break, we'll be talking all about the football. <laughs> OK, so, um, I mean, look, the, the reality is, I mean, Jonathan and I were saying this on the, on the Friday night episode of uh, the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport uh, Radio, that you you just cannot beat uh, the first match of the season going back to the place that you love, um, which you haven't been to for a couple of months, and, and most of all, meeting up with all of your old mates that you haven't seen for a few months is a very kind of, you know, first day at school, first day of the new autumn term feel about it. And... Um, As it happens, I've been doing nothing but bloody Chelsea all weekend at the Love Sports Show on Friday night. I came back up and did the Supporters Trust AGM on Saturday, and then I was up early doing all sorts of interviews, which is very hush-hush and secret, and I can't tell you all about yet, but it was ridiculously good fun. And then uh, I was off to the pub, and I have to say, as I said, I walked into the cock, and I could barely get through the pub. It was so busy. Now, if I tell you that you know last season it thinned out in there substantially... Uh, and I mean the garden you couldn't move Um, you know I think that that says a lot not just that it's the first game of the season but there's a really great vibe back at Stamford Bridge Um, and I'm going to do a few name checks boys if you don't mind me waffling on for a minute or two because um, as Jonathan and I often say this is probably the thing that you know touches our old and fragile hearts more than anything else really but uh, we we saw I mean, I saw people, I met people in the pub that uh, have listened to the show for years, some less than years, but brilliant to see them. Uh, we I met Kunle Andurin. Kunle Andurin, Jonathan. Wonderful. I mean, how it's, fantastic is that?
0: I'm so sorry I couldn't be there, but I was at Lord's trying to get in the morning play and then I get know. into the bridge, and I just yeah. made it in time. I, I thought, yeah, come on, come on. I saw Stokes get his 100, but um, he got in the way of, of meeting everybody, so I do apologise
2: well, I, I mean, I didn't have too much chance to talk properly to Kunle, which is a great shame, but it was lovely to meet you, Kunle. Um, I hope you're listening tonight, and, uh, you know, brilliant to see you. Well done for coming over and saying hello. Uh, the wonderful Mike Ferry from Toronto, um, who, who's done some writing for us. Brilliant to meet Mike, finally. Um, bought me a pipe, bless his heart. Gave me a Toronto Blue Jays cap, which I wore all through the game. Um, so, uh, if you're if you looking up towards Gate 17, you might have seen that. Great to see Mike. I met Jack. Who's an English lad? He bought me a pint. He's been listening for about four years now. I had a nice chat with Jack and his mate Ollie, who has assiduously avoided listening to the show. And I did commend him for that, Jonathan. I thought fair play. And then afterwards, while so I was hanging, he
0: thought he'd be hooked by it. That's why he's been sort of straining. He's no, know he knows. He knows. It's like
2: crack cocaine once he starts listening. He'll never be able to get yeah. a normal life again. Exactly. Uh, and afterwards, uh, I was loitering, waiting for Jonathan, uh, you know, where he sits in the posh bits. And I, and, I, and a lovely lad called Grant from South Africa came up to me and shook my hand and said, hello, I'm your Stanford Chidge, aren't you? And I uh, had a nice quick chat with him. Um, but the cock's great fun. I mean, we have uh, I, I should tell you, breaking news, that uh, we have a cock wat- WhatsApp group for all of us who drink together in the cock. And uh, under my instruction, we have now, because sometimes we turn up, sometimes we don't turn up. So it seemed to me to be sensible that we call the cock WhatsApp group Cock or No Cock. <laughs> yes, I'll leave that hanging there. Um so there we go. So I just wanted to get that in and say thank you to the peeps that we, we, we bumped into on, on Saturday. or sorry, Sunday. It was really lovely. I mean, just beyond lovely to see you. I mean, it really is. You, it really makes our day when we, we get to see you and have a proper chat with you. It's lovely anyway. So, yeah, if you're over, that's what to do. Come over and say hello. Now, the game. Um, I just thought, what a brilliant, brilliant opening. It was just so... I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't think, Jonathan, I've, I've heard the bridge that noisy. Uh, at the start of a game, on a, was des- a normal Premier League game for ages.
0: Deservedly so, wasn't it? But even because before the, they kicked a ball. We were excellent. We were completely excellent. And as you say, should have uh, three or four goals up. But it wasn't. Um, I
2: mean, but this was even before they'd really kicked a ball. It was kind of unconditional support, which is kind of what you want. I thought it was really special, mate. I've got to be honest.
0: I think the, the banners helped enormously. I think we are the shed banners. Quite, Quite brilliant. Um, and the amount of organization to get everybody, um, holding cards up, I don't think it quite worked. I was saying, I think they had a, they had another banner and they didn't have a pole for it. They, the mm. pole was broken or something, but, uh, no, it really, it really helps with the, the atmosphere. And, uh, um, I mean, rightly so, you know, prodigal son returns. So, uh, um, and as you say, we're, we're. We're all completely behind him, and we're all completely we're aware of what he's attempting to do. So there is a, a wonderful feel good factor in the whole process, and it was it was then rewarded with this fantastic first particular the first ten minutes where we should have taken the game completely away from them. They were blown away completely by such a um, such a brilliant paced attack. I mean, that's but that was probably our, our, our undoing, wasn't it? The uh, the speed and energy. So well, we'll get, get we'll on. get
2: on. Yeah, we'll get on to that in a minute. I, I mean, I just thought, you know, we talked about this. Uh, oh, by the way, Jonathan recorded a little video of me and him, which is quite fun, up in his posh bit, you know, uh, in the dining room. Uh, but we talked about this then, as I recall. But I, I just thought, uh, Joe, that we were really up an atom, and I like that. This kind of pressing game, lots of energy and everything. As Jonathan said, we should have been, uh, shouldn't could, could and should have been three 0 up, really, shouldn't we? Uh, but uh, let's talk about this Mason Mount debut goal because I thought that that was special. In fact, I didn't realise how special, Joe, until I got home very late and watched it on Match of the Day. But you know, dare I say it, dare I say this, Joe, but there is <clears throat> there is a bit of Lampard in this lad. There really is. I just think the way he gets into those goal-scoring positions from midfield is very interesting. And he's under a very good tutor to do that, isn't he, Joe?
1: The more I see him play, I mean, I saw him play quite a lot last season. I've, I've watched a ton of him in the academy. But sort of as he kind of finds his his own profile now as a as a footballer at Chelsea. And I'll stress the good part here. He reminds me of the good Oscar. Like when Oscar had his great games and you felt that this was a potential superstar player, but then he'd go missing for like the next 10. That sort of good Oscar kind of style of play. I mean, the the intelligence to realize that, that mistake was gonna come, he could press, you know, the, the confidence to leave his man in midfield to actually go and attack the holding player. Then not only that, to, to win the ball from someone who's probably twice his size, not go down, not take the foul, but it was the finish. You know, the finish was, yeah. was pure Lampard. It was this ability to get such a ridiculously clean, clean strike on the ball under so much pressure. And I think off, on the he was off yeah,
0: balance. He was off balance. Yeah, good. you know,
1: it's, um, it, it, it was a hallmark of Lampard's game, the ability to get these fantastic strikes on the ball ball right? in, in really difficult situations. And, you know, the ball was, was really under his feet. You know, he, he had the guy pretty much draped all over him. Um, but then the, the finish was so good. I mean, Schmeichel didn't even even really go for it. It was such a clean strike. But I think, you know, f- for me, it was just the intelligence to recognise the opportunity. And I think that that, hopefully as the season progresses, as we kind of get more familiar with with the style of play, and as we get some of the players back that we've had from injury. I'm hoping that this sort of, you know, aggression to, to press height the pitch can sort of continues. Um, and obviously we get better at the fitter the, the players get and, and we can maintain that sort of style a little bit more. But it was just a, a really intelligent piece of play capped with, what was an, an absolutely superb finish
2: I think it's definitely the way that Frank wants us to play isn't it uh, Jonathan and you know I'm all for that it's exciting and the ball goes forward what's not to like
0: well it's it's um uh, I was looking the number of times there were three or four players in the box which is yes. something that we never we never saw last year at yeah. all and uh um, it's the pace it's just completely brilliant because um, it, it shocks teams it shocked united in the first half but but once again the dilemma is um how you maintain that and uh uh you can't have any any slackness in it and you you, you mustn't give the ball away that's the well, that's the might. dilemma because everybody is <clears> playing, <throat> playing this system if you've got everybody up there um and they break quickly then then the pressure's on well but, uh, Indeed, you know, I think it, it, I yeah, think it's we need gung-ho, to, we isn't it? Need to, we need to put them away. What I liked as well was he was even there for, uh, Mount was there for the header, which he just hit straight at Schmeichel, if you remember. But um, yeah. uh, there were some decent crosses in as well. I suppose what it is as well is it gives them, because they're so quickly there, There is less. Um, there are less people uh, pressing them from in defence. There are less people closing them down. So you've got more option to, to actually pick a player out because I thought Dave got... Forward quite well and, and actually delivered several interesting crosses, which hasn't been the case mm. in the past. So, uh, but it is so based on this energy, which as you, we've been saying, they only delivered for the first twenty-five. They did. and you? I
2: was really quite happy that Frank was honest about that. Actually, he didn't sugarcoat yeah. it at all. But before we get into the the other side of the match, which is the second sixty-second sixty. Second, 60 uh, minutes that uh, he wasn't very happy about. Just going to let you know about this. Mason Mount is the first English player to score for Chelsea under an English manager since Dennis Wise under Glenn Hoddle against Blackburn in May 1996, and he's the first academy player to score on his home debut since Paul Hughes did. Uh, Paul Hughes, everybody remember him? Of course you do. Uh, Chelsea versus there. Derby County. Chelsea versus Derby County on January the 18th, 1997. Of course you were, mate. Remember that? Do you remember the score?
0: uh no nope three
2: one (laughs) three one mate but there you go right let's let's get into the you know the other side of the coin as it were because there are two um i have to be honest i thought i think there are a lot of mitigating issues here i'm gonna i'm gonna leave the set piece and the zonal marking for the end before we we run in the interview with lee but you know, as ever with Chelsea, we we tend to forget that there is another team actually on the pitch. Uh, and I thought Leicester were pretty cute. I thought Rogers changed it tactically, and of course, the key to that for me was Madison, James Madison, who I think is a very good player. And he was much cuter with his movement in the second half, and and it really caused us problems, Joe, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest problem that we've had going from last season to this season is it's pretty much the same. It's that space in front of the back four and, and who plays there and yeah. how they occupy it. You know, for me, I think this is probably the biggest conundrum that that Lampard uh, and Morris and co. have got to figure out because this sort of chasm of space that uh, particularly that Madison found in the second half was was ridiculous. I mean, I counted probably over 10 times where he received the ball kind of goal side of, of whoever was meant to be sort of playing holding midfield at the time. And I think it, it looks to me like, you know, whenever you sort of turn that midfield that we have starting or the, the midfield that finished the game that we look in in acres of uh, or we look in you know so much trouble when, when we get turned that you know they're not the most athletic midfield they're not the most defensively sound or aggressive and I think that that is a, a huge problem it, it seems you know sort of going forward that there's almost this blueprint to play Chelsea now where you either play two very narrow wingers in in, in those kind of inside forward channels that, that that sort of you know traditionally maybe players drift into but if you start them in there will just play two number 10s you know, you can see that them just picking up the ball with, with so much ease and so much space that it doesn't really matter how talented the player is. If you give a, a Premier League player, you know, 10, 15 yards of space running at a back four, you know, it's likely that at some point they're going to pick out a, a decent pass and, and create some chaos. So I think that probably for me was, was the, the most interesting thing is, is how that's going to be solved. And I don't know if you saw some of Kurt Zuma's comments after the game. Um, he was sort of mentioning about... The, you know maybe not playing such a high line and getting used to sort of playing this sort of new style of play but I think a lot of this kind of goes back to last season as well is just how do you how do you close some of the spaces that you see in front of the back four because personally I mean I've, I've not I'm not a huge Jorginho fan in that position I think he's a good footballer but as as a holding player in the Premier League I think people often forget that he is a holding player he has to screen the back four he has to protect the back four and I don't care all of the ancillary stuff that he has in his game that's great and fascinating and you know, he's a good organiser and he he plays things neat and tidy and, he, you know, he, he makes good use of the ball. But if you can't screen the back four effectively, then then for me, it, it's it doesn't really kind of go past that point in terms of judging someone. So, you know, I'd like to see potentially, you know, um, something else tried there. I don't know if it's worth pushing someone like Andreas Christensen in midfield, you know, because he's played for Denmark or... Even someone like Reese James when he comes back to fitness to, to have or, or a or Aspie, did you see Seb? Yeah.
2: yeah, did you see yeah. tweet earlier yeah. on? You know, yeah, someone,
1: someone that is a bit more has a bit Defensive. more athleticism, a bit yeah. more aggressive. You know, lose some of that technical ability that we've got in midfield with Kovacic and Jorginho, but kind of realise that maybe we don't quite have the team that can get away with carrying those sorts of players in midfield and and try and shore up a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good Isn't point you make there, eat? Joe. Jonathan, hang on a minute, Jonathan. I was going <laughs> yeah. to ask you this because I think it's a really good point that Joe makes because. There is a misconception that, that, that Kante is, is a is a Makaleli-type player who just sits in front of the defence and screens it. But he's not. He's way more mobile and quite often forward-thinking than that. It's just that he gets everywhere. We kind of think that he is. And I don't think Jorginho is a Makaleli-type player, and I'm not sure what kind of a player uh, Kovacic is yet. But Joe makes a good point there, do you think?
0: Well, yeah, the point I was going to make was exactly that, actually, which is that uh, everybody seemed to have this belief that Kante was, would just play in front of the back four, and he was defensive midfielder. And and he, he's not. He, he's he's further forward than... He's as far forward as he was last year with Sarri, but perhaps not as much going running into the penalty area. But those huge gaps that opened up, I similarly was watching in dismay. I mean, one of the things he did, Rodgers, was he had, weirdly, had... Madison playing on the left wing and and because of where i sit you're allowed to have opposition um uh, supporters saying what they feel like as long as they don't stand up um uh like other parts of the ground i think they'd have one laid on them and they would be you know bloodied noses and they'd be led out but uh, in this instance this guy was saying uh, um i don't understand why he said why is Madison why is Madison playing on the wing and he was absolutely right because when he moved him into midfield then he, he bossed the game he's a very good player indeed he really he's a terrifically skillful player and a lovely eye for a pass some of those uh, um the fake passes where he looks right and flicks it left are just, were just for Vardy were just absolutely excellent but but it, it it I was trying to work out what is the what is the way of solving this as you said Joe because the the if you are pushing as much up with with the speedy attack and then there's this break you've suddenly got this gap evolving every time So, um, uh, and you keep thinking, where's Kante? Well, Kante's up with them. He's up with the others attacking. So, uh, and as you say, I mean, Kovacic, in fact, played well in the Super Cup. It just seemed to be a different, they seemed to to, to be able to pace it better with Liverpool. But um, yesterday came on and I couldn't see him doing, I don't know what he was doing. He couldn't get into the game at all. Um, But uh, as you say, Jorginho is, is, is terrific at finding passes, but he's not... That defending player, he isn't there. He's not got a great tackle on him, and so um, that sounds rather obscene. That's not <laughs> what I meant at all. He's uh, <laughs> he's he's uh, he's not the defensive. He's not the, the as you say. He's not a Macaulay. He's not somebody who's going to going to get the ball every time and then just just spray it off. Um, but um, so I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know who. Whether, um, well, I don't know who you're making to that. As if you're saying, possibly, what was it? This choice Seb said, possibly Aspie or, uh, or yeah, possibly I mean, uh, Christensen. Someone like- but I, I don't know. I think that, and you yeah. said Reese, don't you think he will try and play Reese James right back, though, Joe? Don't you think that, uh, and you don't know what's going to happen with Aspila Because at the moment, the jury is out on As who just seems to be fits and starts. I mean, it's only three games we've seen him, um, but nonetheless, uh, it's not quite the same package that we've seen before.
1: Yeah, mm. I mean I think I think he's gonna play. I think Lampard's comments were, were quite telling on him. I think after United game he, he sort of singled him out as a as a big player. I mean, I, I think for for me, I, I just look at how kind of physically overpowered we were in midfield and, and Rhys James is an incredibly strong player to, to have, particularly, you know, if you ask him to screen the back four and maybe that helps Asperta at a right back, but I think you're right. I think I think he'll most likely probably probably come in as a right back as soon as he's as soon as he's ready to take the role. I mean, I think Christensen is the is the interesting one for me. I mean, obviously living out in, in Denmark, I've seen him play in, in holding me field a couple of times for Denmark live. And I actually kind of feel that he's he's actually pretty decent there and, and certainly could, could do a job in terms of adding a bit of physicality and, and maybe having a proper sort of defensive reference point in the team. And I completely, you know, understand the point that it, maybe it reduces kind of how quickly you can play out, and you reduce some of that ability that we have on the ball midfield, which I think at times is is really good, some of that combination play that we're seeing. But I think at the moment it, it's kind of realizing that perhaps we don't quite have the players we've had in previous years with some of these outstanding forward players, and and maybe we, we're not quite at the level to to be able to carry certain players in in positions that. That, that require a slightly more kind of robust touch, Was, so, so, was yeah. that a
0: Matic? Was that a Matic role? before? A, a Matic, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, no, I
2: mean, I, I mean, look, this goes back to what you we were saying about Kante and the holding role. When when uh, Kante first turned up, Matic was playing the holding role. That was exactly the point. I'm just going to move this on, chaps, actually. One of the things that Jonathan and I talked about last night, which I, I mentioned, I think, Jonathan, was that, you know, and I think it picks up on what you were both saying, actually, is that, you know, we, we this we know. We're not, we, we are, uh, you know... We are living in a very different Chelsea world than we're used to, but I I thought this was particularly interesting, actually. I thought that we played, you know, basically, uh, as Leicester got into the game and and, and started playing really well, I thought we played like a team that hasn't won yet this season. It looks like our our confidence is quite shakable. Possibly because we've got a few youngsters playing as well. You know, so this is a bit of inexperienced naivety. Um, so there was that going on, Jonathan. But I, I mean, you've got to, we've also got to be really honest here. I mean, I know Frank didn't use it as an excuse and I, I thought that was quite creditable. But, you know, they must have been exhausted after Wednesday night. I mean, at this time of the season, it usually takes about six games to get, you know, properly, properly match fit, you know, into a, into a well-oiled machine and a well-oiled groove physically. And they played 120 minutes of proper football... Uh, you know, com- proper competitive football. I'm not having it that it was just a friendly. They wanted to win that trophy against a good team who they went toe-to-toe with, but they did it in... I mean, I, I was talking to Ramsey uh, at the AGM. who He was there uh, on Wednesday, and he said it was just unbelievably stiflingly, humidly hot. So yes. that's going to make a difference, Jonathan, isn't it?
0: Oh, completely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's difficult when we're watching from the... Uh the 21 degrees or less of the, of the sitting room. But uh, yeah, it was, it was clearly um, boiling over there and it's bound to take its, take its toll. You then wonder to some extent, why didn't Frank then just bring in for the, some of the players in the second half who hadn't, um, who hadn't played, who'd hardly played. Um But perhaps he's not convinced that they'll work. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure what Barkley's role is at the moment because he didn't play a, a, a part again, did he, at, uh, on Sunday? Um, and you'd have thought that he would have, because he, he didn't, he, how long did he play on Wednesday? He didn't play the whole game at all, did he? I don't he? remember. So,
2: but yeah, but you normally moan no. about him giving the ball away. So, you know, I think that, this is... I, no,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm yes. But, but, in this but, sense, a, but this
2: is a good point, Jonathan, isn't it? Because you do moan about him giving the ball away all I the do. time. But, you, you know, you're saying, well, oh, let's bring him on. But this is the trouble. Who have we got
0: to bring on? No, indeed, indeed, that may have been the reason why he doesn't want to bring him on yeah, because exactly. he, gets caught, he gets caught in possession um, and and gives the ball away. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I moan. I think I critically analyse and then just uh, offer uh, an opinion. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, he's, he's, that's what I think. I'm, I think I'm right because he hasn't figured. I think I think Frank sees that as well that he is too often caught in possession. But I'm just thinking if if he's watching the game running away from us, he might think. Well, let's bring him on. He's got a very good shot on him, and he does get forward, and he scored a lot in in pre season, and everybody was hailing him as rediscovered, and he's got he's no longer wearing the straitjacket. And yet, when he played in the United game, he just looked poor. So, you know, he gives the
2: ball away, and he's not very good defensively. But I mean, yeah. this is what we know. I mean, either you train that out of him, or you accept that and you play him accordingly. And ultimately, that's not something within our gift. I'm I'm just going to move this on because I think there's another thing that we didn't quite pick up on, and I think. Right, I can't remember for the life of me. I think it might have even been on Match of the Day. Actually, it might have been Tim Cahill of all people. But I may have heard it somewhere else. I don't know. But it's really about you know this this big problem that we have about being. I think it was Tim Cahill actually. But it, it, the fact that we are very susceptible to the counter attack, which I agree does have you know something to do with our midfield. Uh, but I also think the defense are culpable here. And you know when you you know when, bottom line is Zuma and. Um, and uh, Christensen are not massively experienced central defenders who should be in charge of the defence. Kepper is very quiet, I think, as a keeper. Aspie, we know, is is not a leader, I don't think. But the bottom line is, is that it, you know the defence should be moving up if they see this big gap, and they don't. And and I do see them retreating back and backing off people where somebody like John Terry would not do that. And I don't think that that helps either. Now, on this point, this kind of segues very nicely in what I wanted to talk about, about the set-piece defending, because yet again, uh, we concede a horrendous goal at a set-piece, which is, I know, something that was happening a lot in pre-season, but, of course, we all know, don't we? This has been going on for a long time. Uh, and This is a point that I, I made to Lee Scott, who uh, who's a football analyst and, and a scout, and a very lovely bloke that I met, uh, as you'll discover, when I was doing a Love Sports show. Uh and, and I I'm, my immediate beef, which I aired to Jonathan last night, was, was it's all about bloody zonal marking, why are they bloody playing zonal marking? Sari played it and didn't work last evening, why are they you know I went off on my usual rant. Anyway, I had a bit of an epiphany today and I thought, you know what, maybe I should actually go and phone somebody up who knows about this kind of schmozzle. And, of course, Lee does, and I I phoned him up, and he very kindly uh, said, I'm happy to do an interview with you and explain to you, Chidge, uh, about the basics of football, which you clearly don't know anything about. (laughs) So um, he didn't quite say that, but uh, anyway, so I'm going to play this in now, okay? So lovely, warm welcome to uh, Lee Scott, who's uh, a man that I discovered through uh, doing the Love Sports Show, funnily enough, but Lee... Uh, is a uh, well. He, he knows a lot about tactics, which is more than I can say. But he's also a football scout and uh, runs a fantastic Twitter page called @TotalAnalysis. Uh, so I encourage you all to join that. Uh, he's also written uh, a very enlightening book about Pep Guardiola and his tactics, which is what I talked to uh, talked to him about last time. Um, Lee, fantastic to talk to you again, and thank you for joining the Chelsea Fancast show tonight. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Absolute pleasure, my friend. Um. The reason, I mean, I know I spoke to you earlier on today, giggling a little bit, because uh, it, it dawned on me uh, after the weekend that uh, I feel that I've spotted uh, something of a malaise in uh, Chelsea's uh, ability to defend at set pieces, which is something that a lot of Chelsea fans have been talking about for quite a while, because this is not recent. This has been going on for quite a while. In fact, in my opinion, certainly since John Terry and Didier Drogba left. But uh, it seems to have become quite endemic recently. And I was watching a a game on the box the other week, I think, and they were mentioning that uh, Chelsea uh, are marking zonally uh, at set pieces, at corners particularly. Um and I'm pretty sure Sarry was doing the same. So, you know, rather than me just going on my usual uh annoying rant on the on the show, I thought, you know, why don't I actually ask somebody who knows what they're talking about rather than just ranting about it to see if I could find out what is happening and if there's an answer. So who did I think of, Lee? You of course.
3: <laughs> Thanks very much for thinking of me. Um yeah, I, after your call Elon today, I had a, a bit of a think about it. I went back and, and watched the goal itself, and I watched some of the, the Chelsea corner kicks um, they're defending so far this season. And they are they're certainly defending zonally. Um, there's no doubt about that. You, you can see the positions of the players along the six-yard area. Um, they're positioned in their zones in such a way that they're not specifically marking an opposition player, rather waiting for them to cross into their area, if you like, before yeah. they engage them. Um and when you look at the goal from the weekend, it certainly I can see why you would have the argument that the, the goal was down to zonal marking. But in fact, it actually looks a little bit like it was Aspilaqueta at fault yeah. for the goal. Yeah. If you look just just before the corner is taken, you can see Kurt Zuma's at the front post and Aspillacueta's in his zone behind him. Aspillacueta looks directly at Indidi. Uh, he knows that he's there. He knows the the path that he's going to try and take to the ball. If the Spaniard had taken just one or two steps forward, then that path would have been blocked off and suddenly it becomes a contested header as opposed to the free header it was. So I can definitely see why why it looks as though the issue is with the zonal side of it, but I think it's more a, a personal and individual issue when you've got a player like Azpilicueta who's having to defend that central zone where you would rather have a, a more robust defender if you like,
2: yeah, I mean, and and this is the thing, Lee, because I, I'm, I, you know, I'm I'm old enough and, and long enough in the tooth to be able to see things in shades of grey rather than black and white. So I, I kind of understand the concept of zonal marking, which is basically you you have your you know your defenders at the corner, because of course it's not just defenders, but you basically have people dis- defending segments of the area, and the idea yes. is that they attack the space, don't they? But yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, but call me old-fashioned. Um, But isn't it a bit daft when you end up having somebody who's about five foot ten uh, having to defend against a great big hairy ass defender who's uh, or or striker even who's six foot three or something? Because clearly there's going to be a physical mismatch even before we get into whether said defender actually does his job properly.
3: Well, that's (laughs) you're right. And if you look back at the, the Super Cup match between Liverpool as well, there, there was one point yeah. when Liverpool had a corner and N'Golo Kante was, he was physically man-marking Virgil van Dijk. And the images border on Comical because obviously van Dijk is towering yeah. over him. And um, van Dijk's not even looking at Kante, he's just kind of edging forward and Kante's being pushed back. So I think that part of the makeup of the Chelsea side are that you're kind of losing a little bit on the physical side. Previously, I mean, you, you named John Terry yeah. and Didier Drogba, and you, you mentioned that when they left, that's when the corner release started. That's because they were extremely proactive in the penalty area, um, both defending and attacking. They they were always seemed to be the, the player. There are sometimes players, and those two are certainly amongst those, that almost appear to be magnets for the ball at set plays. And it's more to do with their understanding and their tracking of the flight of the ball and where the what zone the ball's going to drop into and being able to get into the right place. But now when you look at this Chelsea side, I mean, the centre half, Sir Kurt Zuma, who, OK, he was caught under the ball a little bit for the corner at the weekend. You could argue that he maybe should have judged the flight a little bit more and adjusted himself and he might have got a touch on it. And then Christensen, um, who... Certainly isn't the most dominant in the air. Very good with the ball at his feet, but maybe not as good when the ball's up and about in the in the penalty area. So even then, you look at the the defensive midfielder for Chelsea being Jorginho. Um, Jorginho is is a lot of things, but he's certainly not a somebody who's going to be effective defending set plays. So I think rather than just saying that it's down to zonal marking, it it kind of feels like it's it's kind of you could attribute. The, the problems that Chelsea are having with their set plays to the, the squad building as well.
2: Yeah, I, I think exactly that. And that's kind of what I was alluding to with seeing things in grey. But here's the thing. I mean, look, you know, what, what's what's the case for, for zonal marking as opposed to man-to-man marking?
3: In man-to-man marking, yeah, it's very much one-on-one with individuals. So you're relying each and every time on your player knowing which man you'd have. Are not being blocked off when the players are moving through the penalty area and being able to track the runs that are being made from deeper areas as well. So it can be effective. But then if you think back to, to before Chelsea had my, had um, zonal marking at corners, a lot of the times when they would concede a corner, it would go down as a certain player's fault. That player lost his man. That player didn't jump. That player didn't block off. Now, everybody just looks at zonal marking and says that the issues is to do with zonal marking. So whilst man-to-man marking, you, you obviously track your men, you, you hope that you're going to be able to get your runs right and you're not going to get blocked off. But with zonal marking, when it's done right, you should have players in the area along the six-yard area. That's the only part of the box that yeah. you're zonal marking. You're not zonal marking the 18-yard area. So when we talk about zonal marking, it's only four or five players. And typically, you don't have anybody on the post because the player who would have been on the post is marking that zone at the front post or the, the back post. And then the other players that are arrayed along the six-yard area are ready to block any efforts or get headers away. But a lot of teams now have a hybrid system whereby you have those players zonally, but then you have an element of man marking as well, which is, I think, why we saw Angolo Kante man-to-man with Virgil van Dijk in the Super Cup. So I think there are, there are elements of both in the, the way... Chelsea are setting out for set plays and I think going forward the the best idea for Chelsea would be to maintain that and just to I don't know maybe you need to you need to make sure that your players understand fully their responsibilities I mean as Belaqueta like I said if he'd stepped in a little bit then he would have blocked off indeed maybe the, the dangers averted
2: mm. I, I I get that and, I, and and one thing I have picked up is exactly what you said actually it, it, it's the zonal marking really comes in on the six yard area and it is about four maybe five players sometimes you can actually have somebody on the post as well as i believe but i think a lot of sides <clears throat> excuse me a lot of sides do a, do a hybrid as which is what you're talking about which seems to me to be the best of both worlds and i and you're right i mean ultimately you know you can't legislate from players making mistakes they're going to make mistakes occasionally and also sometimes you are going to lose lose a battle against a player you know somebody's going to outdo you it happens um but you know what 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 i what i fail to understand is how you end up with a situation exactly what you pointed out in the Super Cup, where you get such a ridiculous mismatch of Kante ending up effectively man-marking Virgil van Dijk. So what I'm really saying is that is, is there not an issue here with a bit of leadership as well, where somebody in the team, you know, preferably the captain or the or the main defender uh says, hang on a minute, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we've got, you know, some good matchups here so that somebody like Kante doesn't end up with being having, having to mark Van Dyke.
3: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean before any game, the, the coaching staff will lay out the set piece routines and who you're expected to mark in defensive set pieces. So there will have been a conversation at some point, I believe, in the the Chelsea coaching staff about Van Dyke and how they're going to manage him at corners and free kicks that, that are likely to come into the area. I think, again, going back to the, the John Terry question, Though, if you had John Terry on that pitch and he saw N'Golo Kante marking Virgil van Dijk, he'd have been straight over and pushed Kante out the way to mark him himself. Yeah. That was previously, back in those days, we, we kind of, it wasn't that long ago, but I'm saying back in those days, we kind of used to see these matchups a lot more. The biggest centre-half will mark mm-hmm. the biggest centre-half, a tall striker is marked by a tall centre-half, and so on and so forth. And it kind of evens itself out. So, as soon as you saw that issue with Kante trying to mark Van Dijk, fair play to Kante. I think he's the kind of personality who will just decide to take up on himself that he will go and negate that threat. It might not be the best idea, but he'll try. I think that you have to wonder where the breakdown was between the coaching staff and the playing staff. Did the coaching staff not lay out the plan properly? Did the playing staff try to adjust on the fly and the pitch in order to to make up for some shortcomings in the instructions that we're getting, that's something that's really unclear just now. Mm. I think that until you get five, six games in, into a season, you really don't know exactly where they, the shortcomings are in terms of set pieces, but nowadays in football, set pieces are so incredibly important. You see the the differences in, Chelsea, in Liverpool, for example, last season, when their, their output from attacking set pieces and their defending from defensive set pieces went through the roof and a lot of people attribute that directly to to their increased points tally and their finishing second and almost winning the title um, I think that for a coach like Frank Lampard, for his coaching staff coming into a team like Chelsea, I think that looking carefully at set plays and being able to put something concrete in place is not an easy fix but something they could do in the short term to perhaps ensure that they were picking up more points
2: I think absolutely Lee and I think you know we all get a bit frothy at the mouth as supporters when we see things going on but it is early days and they haven't in in the bigger scheme of things uh, Frank and the rest of the coaching staff haven't had an awful lot of time to work with the players and, and hopefully you know their instructions and plans will seep in eventually but I mean ultimately like you said you know whether you're whether you're markings only or man for man you know you can still concede goals because people are going to make mistakes. People are human and sometimes somebody's just better than you and it happens. But, uh, you know, so basically I think what I'm trying to say is that uh, I shouldn't be so ratty about a zonal marking saying it's a load of rubbish and it doesn't work. Ultimately, it's the same as it ever was. It's always about the players and, and their ability or inability to do
3: things right occasionally. Yes, I believe so. Um, It's the same as any tactical concept, though, you can talk about. Obviously, I have an interest in tactics. I enjoy the tactical side of the game. But I still appreciate that it doesn't matter how good your game plan is. It could all go out the window in the first minute when the ball deflects off somebody's backside and goes into your goal. And then you're stuck almost wiping out your game plan and starting again. So as much as football can be enjoyed tactically, I think it's... It's all about the individual and that's why I think squad building and recruitment and things like that has obviously been a problem for Chelsea this this previous season. They haven't been able to recruit properly and you don't know what it will look like this time next season once Frank Lampard has had a chance to assess the squad and then bring in players that perhaps meet the way that he wants to play. I think that there have been enough signs in the the first couple of games to suggest that he does have a style of play, he does have a, a philosophy if you like and that's something that he wants to implement going forward. So I think that the good thing is that, I mean, I'm not a Chelsea fan myself, but I, I, the good thing is that Chelsea fans are more likely to give somebody like Lampard a chance, especially if he's integrating the young players that he's looking to. Because people always want to see young coaches that are homegrown and young players that are homegrown coming through. That's kind of what makes people special, I think. So at least Lampard has that. And maybe over time, he will develop kind of an identity at Chelsea.
2: Yeah, excellent stuff. Lee, uh, as ever, you're an absolute legend. Thank you for clearing that up. And uh, next time I I have a a, a tactical conundrum, I I won't have the cop out of saying, well, I just don't understand tactics. I'll get on the the old dog and bone to you again. Um, Very, very, (laughs) brilliant. Very quickly, you can find Lee uh, at FM Analysis on Twitter and uh, Total Analysis is at Total Analysis. And you've you've got a website, haven't you, as well as a few books and things, Lee. Do you want to quickly tell me a, a, a bit a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, we we have a website and um, Total Football Analysis the website. We have, I think, over fifty analysts now. Um, we produce, I think today for example, eleven different match analysis pieces from the weekend went up. So tactical analysis of different games all across Europe and North and South America as well. And um, we also have a, a monthly tactical magazine, the Total Football Analysis magazine that's available. Um, so yeah if you go to Total Football Analysis you will find all of that there
2: Brilliant Lee Uh, lovely to speak to you yet again I I hope our paths will cross again sometime in the season but for all the right reasons of course Uh, of course enjoy the rest of the week and the football that's on and hopefully I'll speak to you again soon Right, everybody. Uh, I hope you all um, enjoyed that as much as I did actually it was It was great fun uh, talking to lee who 's a lovely chap and very knowledgeable. just to kind of reiterate that before we have a quick chat about it but uh, you know Lee is the lead analyst for total football analysis you can find You can find them on uh, Twitter. I urge you to to follow him uh, at well he 's at FM analysis, but you can follow total football analysis at total analysis um and as i said he's an opposition analyst and a first team scout and uh, their mission total football analysis mission is to provide the readers with tactical understanding of the big matches teams and concepts and they do have a, a monthly magazine which is well worth a look so just go and check them out at totalfootballanalysis.com i think the thing that was that i took away from that was that i'm not quite as stupid as i i credit myself for being um which dare i say it but um you know, that basically there is nothing wrong with zonal marking per se if you do it properly, but as much as you get this with, with man-for-man marking, that uh, if, a, if a player makes a mistake or if... if uh you know, uh, one of the opposition gets a better view, it's going to happen. And I think he was kind of saying that, you know, it's early days for Frank. We, he might not quite have the right players. You know, it wouldn't have happened if John Terry was in the defence, for example. Uh, Liverpool were a bit ropey until they got Virgil van Dyke. So it'll take a bit of time to work through. And we might need to get some decent players who uh, who, who can make this work. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Joe first, Jonathan, and then I'm going to come to you.
1: What you're trying to do is, is kind of just create a, a bigger volume for Zimmer to, to attack. You know, if I'm a if I'm a, a, a clever set-piece coach for an, an opposition team and I know that Chelsea are now marking, I'm just taking my biggest player, who Kurt Zuma is most likely going to mark, and just telling him to stand on the penalty spot, you know, because I know then that we've basically taken out Chelsea's best uh, defender aerially, and it, it's, it's going to be Olivier Giroud, or six other players on the opposition team attacking the ball. I think the, the one thing specifically about the goal on Saturday that I think we need to look at is, zonal is fine, but not when you put Azpilicueta in the middle zone. So I would probably like to see someone like ruin in the front zone that Zuma was occupying, and then push Zuma into the middle zone, and maybe Christensen occupies the the sort of the the back zone. But that was my only real criticism was that I, I'm not sure why Aspillaqueta, you know, all five foot ten or whatever he is of him, is occupying probably one of the most important zones. And you know, Didier Drogba occupied that front zone for pretty much his entire Chelsea career. John Terry was pretty much in the middle zone. No, those are the kind of profiles of player you want. I think you know if we've got a team that really really struggles aerially. I mean, again, you know the, the comment about Kante marking Van Dijk was is a bit comical. But if if that's how teams are are going to approach things, then you're going to have to try and get the most out of the players you have available. And that is using Giroud on the problem in the front place and, and moving Kurt Zoma centrally and letting Zuma just uh, attack the ball that anything that comes in that in that danger channel and hoping you know that in terms of the delivery that one of the smaller players can get a nudge on or get some get some contact on one of the runners because. You know, it, it's something we've seen for quite a while now. Yeah, you know, I think he made a good point. Since really, you know, Chelsea's team in terms of size, the profile of our team has decreased quite significantly. I mean, you could go back historically, and you've got Ivanovic, you've got Jon Obi you've got Balak, you've got Terry, you've got Drogba. I mean, you've got near enough half the team are six two, six foot three and above, defending set pieces. You can go man for man because it's a little bit easier to to do that when you've got so many tall players. But the fact that we've got such a short squad now the team is not particularly physical there's, there's very little aerial ability in the side I think we're going to see this uh, sonal marking and maybe a hybrid when Rudiger and some of the other taller players come into the side but for the time being I think if we go man to man it'll be even worse and, and, and potentially yeah. suicide from set pieces It's
2: kind of definitely what I got from that I mean Jonathan the one thing that occurred to me actually that I thought most interesting was it, it, it's something that we've talked about a lot actually but not about set piece defending funny enough but about a lack of leadership so, actually, sometimes you can plan all this stuff on the training ground and you can practice it in training, but sometimes you've got to think on your feet. And if you haven't got somebody organising the defence properly, then you do end up with Kante uh, marking Van Dijk. But I thought it was really interesting what he had to say, yeah?
0: Yeah, but it seems it seems bizarre, doesn't it, that Dave is in the middle. Where where was Christensen? Yeah, totally. You know, where was Christensen? Where was, uh, I suppose, they are going for the, the strikers. It was just that the Ndidi was... Uh, He's one of the taller centre halves there, and he had a he, he from his reaction on match of the day when he was it was he was uh, it was pointed out to him that he'd been caught in possession. He thought he was going to burst into tears, so he was clearly looking to uh, the shame of it of being caught on the edge of the penalty area. So he was looking for revenge, um, uh, and the amount of energy that he had coming into the box. I mean, I I, I like the fact that it doesn't really matter what. Plans you have, if you've got somebody really determined. I mean, it's like Harry Maguire, who just seems to be very, very capable of getting above everybody else. Um, uh, he just has that determination, and you can't, you, you. Well, you can cater for that. You can, you can make sure that somebody else has a determination. But um, I, I, I don't think that I don't think we've ever seen Dave particularly be wonderful at corners. Um, the number of times where he's not quite there, despite. I mean, I, I'm I'm feeling so dreadful giving him having having a go at him all the time because it's a big hatchet job because he has been a completely phenomenal defender for us. But it, it, there are certain areas that he's not, n- never been brilliant at, and one of those has been um, heading the ball away from. Uh, well, I think when he was playing in the three with Conte, he seemed to be um, very reliable as a header of the ball. But uh, at a fullback, I've not ever been convinced. With him, or once again, I'm contradicting myself. I think actually, under Mourinho at the very beginning, he seemed to have springs in his feet that belied the fact that he was five foot ten. But it's not happening at the moment. And I know mean, you said you actually said earlier, Chid, that you thought the Zuma wasn't. Zuma wasn't actually terribly experienced. He's not very experienced in the in the in the uh, in the Chelsea defence at the moment. But you know, a season at Everton where he did very well in this kind of situation, you wonder whether Everton play a slightly different Everton played a slightly different system uh in the back four there. But um uh, but yeah, they, they've got to get this together, basically, haven't they? They've got to find. And I somebody, think, I think they will. I think. That, I think there's. Yeah, yeah there. I think there's a sense I we'll from. Uh, I, think a sense it, from we'll, I think there was a sense
2: from. I think there was a sense from uh, Lee that that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, that this will take a bit of time to to iron out. You know, it is I mean, we keep forgetting this. It's early days. I mean, I know they had pre-season and everything, but you know, he, he's only had all of the squad to work with really since the beginning of the season. We were only three games in. And and these things take time, so you know. But it'll be interesting to watch that. Now, I, I I think one one of the things I do like about getting Lee on the line is that, you know, we we get to learn a little bit more about it. So it'll be interesting. I'll, be, I'll now be watching a lot more closely, you know, than I normally do. Uh, obviously, not when the when the uh, the actions down the shed end because I can't see that far. But I'll keep my eyes skinned at the Matthew Harding end. Okay, we're going to move on, and uh, we're going to go to part two in a second. And we're actually going to. Take a step back and uh, kind of look at some of the player performances those that were good, those that were not so good, those that were okay, and what have you. Uh, but in particular, uh, we're going to have a look at William, who uh, I think was shocking in a sense. But was it because he was shocking? Was it because he was rusty? Or is there something else going on? And, uh, and we'll talk about where we are on the Frank Lampard evolutionary curve. We'll see you in a second.
0: The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com Real
2: fans,
1: real opinions.
0: I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total Nutters and Proper Chelsea.
2: Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. Tonight, we've got me, Stanford Chidge, him, Jonathan Kidd, and him, uh, Joe Tweedy. So we've got a really good team tonight, of course. Now, uh, a quick shout-out for the website, ChelseaFancast.com. You can actually listen to this show directly from the website, which is fantastic. I put a little blog up before we go on air, and there's a little live player on there. Um, and also loads and loads of blogs, which is fantastic. Dean Mears is in the mixer at the moment. He writes loads, as does Nick Stroudley, as does the lovely Jonathan. There are so many people who writes brilliant. So do get on it, uh, and uh, you can get every show on there when I have put it up as a podcast. There's a little embed of the show that takes you to Acast. So if you ever have any trouble uh, downloading the show on iTunes or you know Spotify or whatever, whatever weird wonderful platform you use then you can should always be able to get it on the website because it will take you straight to ACAST. So I commend that to you. By the way, on that point, I wrote to ACAST and there was a dodgy RSS feed link. So that's why it wasn't going up on iTunes or Spotify. But I believe that has all been resolved, so you should be fine. Um, we kind of bigged up uh, Mount, didn't we, earlier on, uh, which was fantastic. But I, I thought, um, you know, in, the, in light of recent performances, Zuma was, uh, was very good uh, the other day. Uh, on Sunday, in fact. I thought that uh, Kante was his usual wonderful self. I thought Kepper was good, Jonathan. I also thought, actually, in spite of the mistake, I thought Asby had a good game. He's getting forward a lot and putting a lot of crosses in. Certainly looks a little bit happier doing that than he did last year. So there were some positives. Um, I thought Jorginho, Emerson and Giroud were tired after their exertions on Wednesday. And I thought Pulisic was a bit nervous, Jonathan.
0: But that would make sense. It was. It's his. It's his Premier League debut. Is, is I think he's. He's. He's got great potential. Uh, he buzzes around beautifully, and he's got very great pace. Uh, it was interesting to read a stat about Emerson that said that he was um, um, the most consistent player on the pitch, um, uh, and never gave the ball away, and uh, fourteen tackles. Um, because I'm, 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 I've been a bit of a, a, a critic of his because I, I think he takes an easy way out. He tends to just pass the ball back as a kind of default. But um, apparently he was, uh, he was very solid indeed. I thought Giroud, um, uh, was, as, as was pointed out on Match of the Day, looks um, was much more mobile than he normally is and uh, can be a terrific, terrific uh, target man. That wonderful. Um, chest that he gave just chested it off to Pedro who hit the side netting at the very beginning it was a terrific move and his flick back for Kante uh, which just got blocked um, was a, another terrific move um, involving him so uh, um, once involved he's clearly very skillful Giroud as we knew um, but um, what I loved about also was the Poor old, uh, poor old West Ham thought the ball had gone in after Pedro had smashed it because he hit it so well and then were treated to that several minutes of the opposition going, ah, ah, as everybody seems to do nowadays, which always makes me laugh, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I thought, um, I, I, it's tricky to know as we've been talking about what role Jorginho is playing for me at the moment because he, he's, he's so accurate. But you think, you know, I... What what else is he contributing, uh, particularly in the second half? When it when it's all working, you can see he's a decent cog. But otherwise, I I'm I, I can't work out what's happening, other than this enormous hole that keeps appearing. But um but I, I get bemused the fact I don't know why Giroud was off at 60 minutes. Can you tell me if anybody knows in Mixler as well? Do they, do they wear those little? Are they all wearing the little bibs which have got the um the uh, the fobs in the back? Which which give them a readout as to whether or not they're exhausted or not, or whether their 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 pulse rate has gone up because they wear that in rugby because that's why they keep taking them off all the time. And I think think even um, uh, Stuart Broad was wearing one in the cricket. Is that happening in football? Is that allowed? Is that why they wear the little black black sort of almost bra like things? Have they got them at the back? Is it reading out to the to a computer whether they that it's now it's time to come off? Is that happening in football? because well, Ram- uh, Ramsey Ramsey
2: thinks that they're not legal in football yeah um, I think I think that uh, you know I like the idea of players having their own black box and then we can run the old uh, aeropane blonde uh, joke can't we but uh, <laughs> um but no, yeah looks- I, I kind of I, think that maybe that maybe are. maybe Giroud maybe Giroud it just runs on batteries and they've got a little thing that reads it says that these batteries have run out I don't know Joe do you know
1: yeah they're um they're they're like gps trackers so they actually track the effectively the the amount of running someone's done and you know if you were to look at a recording of, of the game you'll just see a dot on a on a pitch just and it shows you exactly where the person's moved and it's kind of used both to sort of see obviously a how much running someone's done but also to analyze you know if they're being asked to play in a certain position or certain areas how much they're in that area when we've got the ball and it's it's something that that uh I think a lot of companies like Opta and people like that would love to get their hands on. But at the moment, it's just used in-house by the uh, the various sort of analytics teams to to provide feedback to managers on positioning and positional play, that sort of thing. All right. mm.
2: OK, fair enough. Um, I think actually it's a good, you know, I, I'll do the William bit after this, if you, if you like, boys, because it kind of makes more sense. But, uh, you know, talking of Giroud going off... Um, I mean, here's the other thing, actually. I, I thought we played. We, because we're not really talking about the Liverpool games, we kind of did that on Friday. But, you know, I thought we played really, really well. I mean, okay, you know, you could say that Liverpool, you know, are probably about a yard off it at the moment, haven't hit their straps yet. But I thought we played really, really well. And I thought we looked a lot more solid and less. Uh, you know, less vulnerable. I mean, not to say we weren't vulnerable, but we looked less vulnerable to the counter-attack than we had against United. And I, I wonder if that was because we played four three three effectively. You know, we had, you know, uh, Kovacic, Jorginho and Kante in midfield. And I wonder if that helps. And, I mean, of course, you know, Giroud, for all of his lack of mobility and speed, he does hold the ball up better, and he does link play better, Joe. Do you think there's something in that?
1: I mean... I mean, I, I have a bit of a theory that I think actually we play better against better sides because we're actually better at counter-attacking. And, mm. and I, I think what, one thing that you'll see is when we have to, let's say, take the initiative in the game, like I think against Leicester, you know, we we very much were kind of on the front foot for most of the game. I mean, even when they came back into it, it was more sort of on the counter rather than them completely dominating the ball and, and, and completely sort of taking us to, to pieces. I think when we play teams who are kind of at our level or above where maybe the onus is on on us to where we can sort of allow ourselves to sit back and maybe not push so far forward, if we do lose the ball, then we're kind of in a better shape structurally. So when you've got Kovacic forward, you've got uh, Jorginho on the pitch, you've got Kante on the pitch, if you lose a quick turnover, we only know that the only player that's going to get anywhere near the ball on the counter-attack is Kante. And I think that's why you see so many of these spaces when we play some of the quote-unquote lesser sides in the Premier League is is when, when we have this onus to be more aggressive, further up the pitch, be more attacking, that when we do lose the ball, that teams know that they can counter us because we don't have the the legs to get back. But, you know, sides like Liverpool, and I've, I actually thought this as well last season, that Kovacic's best games were against better teams. Because I think when he's able to keep the ball and to sort of use it neat and tidy and retain possession, that's when it is best. But when he has to drive forward and be sort of a an attacking kind of impetus to the team, that's when you sort of see him maybe not as impressive. So, you know, going forward, I would expect us to be maybe more competitive against better sides because I I think at the moment when we are playing the Leicesters and maybe you know Europa League level sides and below when the onus is or the impetus is on us to to do the attacking to be in control to play hard at the pitch be more aggressive when we lose the ball we're we're in massive massive trouble I think that's why you'll see some of these very much end-to-end games also back to the United game as well I don't think really they're that you know that far ahead of us in terms of ability I just think that we made some silly mistakes, conceding possession, and we were so high up the pitch that they got in behind us really quickly. So it's going to be interesting to see this season how how that kind of progresses because you know we can't sort of play this almost basketball style against teams that are around us and below us, and hopefully you know hope that we outscore them. You know equally, you know it's it's a little bit easier maybe for us to play on the counter to be a little bit more compact, a little bit more defensive against the cities and Liverpools that, that, that we're going to sort of come up against this season. But yeah, it's, it's going to be one of those things, I think, that maybe changes when you get some slightly different options coming back um, into sort of midfield and maybe some slightly different options up front. But at the moment, it feels like very much when we're on the front foot that we are literally one, one bad decision or one bad pass away from, from having a team counter-attacking us and being on our back foot within two, three seconds. Did that um, all go well,
0: Joe, for the uh, Champions League, do you think? Be plain, be I think plain. so, yeah, I do.
1: I mean, I think, uh, you know, the Liverpool game for me was encouraging because I think that, that potentially that style of play that we had in that game translates better to Europe, where I think maybe we've got less expectations on the team. I think teams will maybe come at Chelsea a bit more in Europe, noticing, you know, we don't, we're not quite as good as, as what we were in previous season. So hopefully, you know, if we can keep that structure, we can play on the counter-attack. And you know, we do have the ability to knit goals and we can we can defend when we're when we're not forcing the issue. So maybe that translates to Europe, particularly if we can get out of the group and maybe get past the, the sort of first round of 16. If you're into the quarterfinals and you've got one of the better sides in Europe, you know, if, if they're in possession and, and we can make it difficult and counter, I think that plays into our hands. But obviously the, the problem we've got is that when you play Premier League, you know, the, the onus is going to be on us for 70, 75% of the games that we play. And I think until we can figure out that, that relationship between the sort of back four and midfield and, and this you know kind of I suppose determining when we press how we press how aggressively we press you know as soon as that press was was beaten as soon as Leicester kind of figured out what we were doing after the first 35-40 minutes it was a bit of a different game so I think you know that once that that's figured out hopefully we'll become a little bit better in terms of how we deal with defending transitions but at the moment it, it just seems like it's it's one mistake, and and teams are sort of running at Zuma, running at Christensen, and you know you're just hoping that Kante can sprint back 50, 60 metres it's, to make a challenge, or Zuma or, or Christensen make a wonder tackle.
2: It do- doesn't help though, and this is I know a real hobby horse of Jonathan's, and I and I actually agree with him on this. It really doesn't help in terms of being vulnerable to a counter attack if you lose possession, and and I do wonder sometimes, Jonathan, whether they wouldn't try i mean i know that they're trying to move the ball around really quickly and i know that they're trying to move the ball around really quickly going forward and i i applaud that but sometimes the simple ball is better than the you know the the hollywood ball and quite often they lose possession by Trying to be too clever, I think, and that because of the way that we are, I think sometimes the defence being a bit deep, the gap between defence and midfield not being so good, you know, there's no, I don't think, enough leadership at the back to kind of judge where they should be. It doesn't half make us vulnerable to that counter attack.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, but it, 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 it's it's almost occasionally they'll they'll even play the simple ball and lose it. I think. It's well, just, there is that. It's, yeah, just being, but it's, it's not even the passing; it's the actually being being caught. Is the problem, isn't it? You can almost see it happening if they're if they've got two two men on you, and somebody will. There, there's a there's a, a slight element of hubris about it. Somebody thinks I can beat this player, I can beat that. And I think once again, this is Barkley's problem. He, well, he, and,
2: and Pedro, Pedro. Pedro. as
0: we've established, I think Pedro has two halves to him, doesn't he? Either he, he, he either plays one half fantastically, or and, and is is. Completely brilliant, or, or uh, in the second half, it's very likely he'll just kick the ball ahead of him and run after it and uh, and give it away and be caught in possession. Yeah, no, but he he seems to be guilty of just facing the wrong way. And um, uh, and, and what was it the other day? He did uh, um, I think in the in the the two cup, he actually did a wonderful. Uh, he gave the ball away and then got the ball back immediately, which we all applauded, and uh, and then gave the ball away again. And but I mean, I think. I think he is a he's a bit of a conundrum at the moment for me. I don't quite know um, because he was terrific against Liverpool, really terrific, mm. and he had been very poor against United. And you wonder whether he's is he sure of his role? He seems once he gets forward, he he looks pretty impressive. But it's over the ninety minutes now. Is he is he fit enough? Can he last that long? And I, is mm. it, is it in the legs? You know, he's thirty one, isn't he? Perhaps you yeah. need to be in your twenties to play this. To play this amount of football and this at this speed because he certainly he certainly well got that the, got the pace. That, that's a, takes, that's but, uh, a
2: good that's a good point, Jonathan. Because you know I'm I, I'm reminded by the start. I mean, Joe will, will have be interested on in this in, in, interesting to hear on this point as well because it seems to me that we're trying to adapt to this. You know what you know the Gagan press for. I hate these wanky words, but what Klopp did at Liverpool this really aggressive high press, lots of energy. Real forward momentum. Spurs, in their own way, tried it as well. And of course, we know what happened to Liverpool and Spurs—that they basically combust in a heap of exhaustion by about March. Do you think that there's, you know, that we are in danger of following the same road doing this, Joe? Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the similarities between when Klopp came here to Liverpool from Dortmund and and what Chelsea are currently doing are. you know, the, the correlation is, is massive in terms of the, the style of pressing, the intensity. And I think that's one thing that, you know, Lampard is is probably going to have to look at adjusting is is being more intelligent in, in terms of actually you know, how we press. You know, Klopp in particular has changed massively the style of, of play that he's had from Dortmund in terms of how how they win the ball back, etc. And it's not so, you know, what did he come in with this heavy metal football phrase was, was what he came in and suggested he was going to play it's probably more sort of you know prog rock or classic rock now these days in terms of <laughs> in terms of how they're sort of doing things but um yeah i mean you know it, well you could just, you could you could call it rush joe yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah you know it, it's it's one of those things that i think you even need an incredibly young and intense and, and fit side to be able to to put that effort in for 60 70 minutes or whatever and, and you're hoping by you know, by the hour mark, by 70 minutes, you're you're out of sight because then you can kind of take your foot off the gas. But, you know, what we're seeing, I think, is a combination of maybe players, you know, entering into what the latter stage of their career. And, you know, Pedro might have been perfect for this style of play, you know, five, six years ago. But, you know, now, you know, you're kind of expecting him to play, you know, play a full game against Liverpool and play, you know, a game against Leicester, you know, to be able to put in these consistent performances, you know, week on week. I'm not so sure that he... He has that capacity to do it because the the requirements in terms of running are, are insane. You know, we've we've already seen uh, you know kind of the, the the energy levels drop in that second half, and you know that was only after two sort of back to back games, and we're obviously going to have a lot of that sort of Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, you know, kind of weekend football thing this season with the Champions League. So I do have some concerns that you know it did take Klopp quite a while to make that adjustment to Liverpool, and we can see their improvement. You know, in terms of how good they are, obviously that you know they won the European Cup and they. You know, we're, we're one, whatever, it's been finished one point behind probably one of the best Premier League teams that we've seen. So I think maybe they're they're a reference point for what Chelsea and what Lampard probably is trying to look at in terms of achievement. But, you know, they've had, what is it, under Klopp now, three, four, five years under him as a manager. So, you know, the style of play is embedded. They haven't had a huge turnover in the squad. You know, they've got a lot of the the right type of players, athletic, technical players. They've got a lot of physicality in the team. You know, they're set up to play that way and play that way particularly well. You just have to question whether at the moment the 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 kind of the way that we're approaching games with this press doesn't really suit the personnel that we have available at the moment. It may suit the selection that we can pick in two, three months' time when you know Loftus-Cheek is back and Hudson-Odoi and Rhys-James and all these sort of players maybe establish themselves and have the sort of capacity and, and the physicality that may, we're maybe lacking at the moment. It just feels a little bit like we're trying to fit a style of play that maybe doesn't kind of really... Marry, marry well with the personnel that's available at the moment. I think that's why we're seeing these big drop offs in games, particularly from sort of first and second half. And even, you know, it's we're seeing United and, and Leicester, we, we were in control for 20, 30 minutes in each of the game, And then we've had this sort of massive drop off when teams have, have started to play around us because we've tired. So, you know, maybe at the moment it's a little bit more of a pragmatic approach, a little less aggressive. Um, and then you can maybe try and build back up to that style of play you're looking for when you get the full complement of players back.
2: Mm. I think what's interesting, though, is that, you know, I I will be a little bit cross, actually. If I I spent most of last season criticising Sarri for being really kind of intransigent and dogmatic about just trying to apply, you know, basically put square pegs in round holes by trying to apply a system to a bunch of players to whom it was undoubtedly and wholly unsuitable if Frank and Jody do the same, when really, particularly in this year where we have what we have. We have no other options in terms of the players that we have. So you really have to adapt however you want to play to the players you've got at your disposable. but we'll see. I just want to move this on to Abraham and the strikers, because, of course, the other concern that we do have, you know, we, we are better at attacking, it seems, but we are not putting the ball away. We scored one goal. We should have scored more. Um, and there seems to be some sort of a debate between whether we should have Abraham up top. Is he ready? Is he good enough? Uh, or, or Giroud, who is good enough, but is probably very mobile and doesn't score enough and all of this kind of stuff. Um, I just wonder, really, I mean, with, with Abraham, number one, I think, you know, he's young. He's going to need time to really uh, adapt to this level of football. But I think the bigger problem, really... And I heard this, I can't remember, it might have been Kerry actually I was speaking to the other weekend. But anyway, the bottom line is that Tammy Abraham and Giroud are basically big target men. But we still don't put... I mean, I know Aspie was trying very hard actually, but we don't put enough balls in the box for them, I think. We're still trying to play and pass through and and, and hit them. I mean, I know Tammy's an off-the-shoulder player too, but I just wonder if, we, if, if it's also a lack of service for these chaps, Jonathan.
0: I, I think it's accuracy as well. It, it, it's interesting to watch... Um, uh, Madison, who is a very accurate crosser, particularly his free kicks, which, have, which are, are startlingly accurate and dangerous. One of them went all the way through the defence. Remember, it bounced. Um, and But Tammy missed it. Uh, uh, Aspie got a very good centre in and Tammy missed it. He didn't anticipate it. He thought the centre half was going to get it. And it was, a, uh, it was a, a solid chance. He just missed it completely. It was in the second half. Obviously, because that was when Tammy came on after for Giroud. Um, now I thought he was much better in the Liverpool game and seemed to be much more mobile. I think he's he has got more mobility than uh um than Giroud, but he he he's 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 just got to put the ball in the net, really, doesn't he? That's the do you think it's a confidence thing, mate? I at hope the so. I hope so. Because you know, if he puts one in, he'll get a lot more. Him. I thought it was the attempt at na- nine minutes, by the way, to to give him that support with the uh. Um, um, Tammy, Tammy, Tammy Abraham didn't quite work because I think people weren't aware of what was going on. But it was, uh, was a good. It still got effort. really
2: good support after that, actually. There was a lot of chanting. Yeah, there was, there
0: was, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting to you, it, some people have been talking about, obviously, about Bat but but Frank made a very obvious statement during the week saying he's not fit enough. He's got to be fitter to play. In that setup, so and he's not being sold. They want the three, which is absolutely fair enough. They want three strikers, but uh, he's not being loaned out or sold. He just wants him fitter, um, because I think he would probably have got that header because it's it was in the, at the edge of the six yard box. It's it's that, he's just got a he's got a a score and uh, um, and I it doesn't matter how he scores. He can he can score ugly as long as he gets a goal. I think it will do his his confidence an enormous uh, amount actually.
2: Mm, interesting stuff. I mean, where where do you sit on uh, Tammy Abraham and uh, and Giroud, Joe?
1: I think this is you know something that Chelsea fans are going to have to sort of come to terms with this season. Is is for the, the you know the past X number of years, five six years, we've had these incredible talents in the final third who you just used to sort of get them the ball and talking about Eden Hazard, but also Diego Costa, and they could make something out of nothing. You know, Costa's ability. I, I remember the goal against West Brom where. Some, I think Fabregas sort of punted it in the corner and he kind of muscled some guy off running and stuck it in the top corner. And You know, there's, there's loads of incidents where he's, he's made space in a congested penalty area and got a finish in and scored. And, you know, we, we don't need to sort of wax lyrical about Hazard's ability to change games. And, you know, their quality to kind of create for themselves and make things happen is not something that you really see in Abraham or Giroud. I think that they both will need, as you kind of both alluded to, they will need constant service, crosses, pullbacks, etc. They're more kind of finishers or poachers in, in the box than people who are really going to kind of create openings or create things for themselves. And, you know, the loss the loss of Hazard, which is something that I've not heard too many people discuss, is, is absolutely enormous from last season. And it's not something really to, to dwell on because he's gone he's a Madrid player now. But he's such a, he was such a significant part of Chelsea's team structure for six, seven years, however long he was here. You know, a lot of the game was just to get it to Hazard and hope that Hazard does something in the final third and create something. You know, he, I think he was the second most, played like the second most, or sorry, created the second most chances in the league last season. Plus he was our, you know, top scorer as well. So we're losing a lot of that focal point. And with with um, Abraham and Giroud, I think you've, you've just got guys who want to get on the end of things and finish stuff. So if they're being involved in build-up and, you know, they're dropping deep and linking play, I don't know necessarily if that's really kind of their... Their game and, and, and then you've, you've kind of got the, the wild card which is is Batshuayi you know I'm a bit surprised that he's not at least been on the bench so far because yeah now he is I think one of the options for all of the forks that people say maybe he's not fit enough maybe he you know he doesn't follow instructions he is the one player that I think can get a goal out of nothing and I mean while we've been sort of talking right Chelsea are playing Liverpool in the, the Premier League tour whatever it is and he's he's just he scored two goals but I mean one of the first the first goal was insane he the ball got chipped over the top. He sort of crashed through the goalkeeper and won a 50-50. And instead of sort of panicking when he got up, he sort of gets up on the edge of the area and sort of chips it over the two defenders who are sort of running back to the goal in, into sort of the top corner from the edge of the area. I mean, that sort of improvisational ability, that ability to finish, I don't think we've got that in, in Abraham. He's a what good was,
2: finisher, isn't he, He's Joe? a great finisher, I, mean, and I think, yeah, at the moment. He, scored, you know, go- he scores goals.
1: Yeah, you know, and I don't think we can be really picky at the moment in terms of maybe wanting that complete Centre forward, yeah, it would be fantastic, but we've got two very similar players, and one maybe who gives you a, a little bit of uh, diversity in what he can do. So, you know, yeah. I, I I do believe that Batshawai, you know, for all of his faults, I think he would score goals in this Chelsea team. There was a a chance at Old Trafford where the ball fizzed across the area, and I think Abraham missed it by about a yard.
2: Yeah. I but he should have been Batshuayi, nearer to it.
1: Yeah, I think Baturi would would tap that in. if That's the kind of player that he is, and I think I think he finishes some of the chances that we've that we've created so far this season, but. You know, as I think as Lampard alluded to, he wants him to be a player that presses from the front, that runs the channels, that is aggressive, that that leads the line. And I think wise is more concerned with being a goal scorer. But okay, he's playing Liverpool's under 23 team tonight, but he's, you know, absolutely bullied them, could have had four goals by by what I'm reading on, on Twitter, scored twice. One of them was a ridiculous goal, the other one was a fantastic finish. And you know, maybe having someone out there who just his his only a gift is the ability to put the ball in the back of the net and you know, I think we're creating chances, it's just that we're not finishing them. So I would maybe go with Giroud or Abraham, one of them starts on the bench and and see maybe what, what Batshuayi can do. Because I think the worst case scenario, I think he will finish some of these chances that we create. He may not lead the line, he may not run, you know, more than five kilometres an entire game, but I think he will score some goals. And I think he will give, uh, particularly after the performance tonight from what I'm seeing, I think he will give Lampard some food for thought.
2: Interesting stuff. All right, time for William. We'll save the best till last. Uh, although interesting, interesting stuff about Batchui there, Jonathan. But anyway, William, 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 um, came on uh, for a little cameo. His first appearance of the season. Um, let's be frank about William. He's you know had no preseason and he's been injured for most of it. So. You know, to expect him to, you know, be at full speed was just unbelievably stupid. Apart from anything else, I mean, yes, I I thought he was shocking, and he did look as though he was having a bit of a hissy fit. But he must have been rusty. I mean, you know, you need you need miles in your legs when you start playing. It's as simple as that. And I don't think he had. So, I mean, whilst whilst I think we both acknowledged he was pretty poor, Jonathan, do you think there was more than mitigating uh, circumstances here? Uh.
0: No, not really. Well, think, why not? If he's not had any pre season, uh, how can you expect him to be on the mark? I don't know. I just think he should make more effort, really. And he even did his usual thing of hitting the first man from the corner because Mount hadn't been doing it. And you think, oh, God, and he wandered about. And you think, well, why was he on then? I, you know, he, once again, he should have brought Barkley That's a good question. Barkley on. You know, That's why- a better
2: question. That is a better question.
0: If he's not, you know,
2: ready for game time yet. Why did he come on?
0: Yeah, and so what's he been doing in training? Has he been? Has he exhibited more energy or more interest? What What happened there? Why did he? he there was one moment where he was he, he was one on one with a player to tackle him, and he just didn't do anything. He just let him wander past, and it seemed to be the you know the worst excesses of uh, of when he's not been up for it, which we've seen before. Which happened specifically when um, uh, Louise and Conte had had their big ruck. So you wonder whether, in fact, as uh, you suggested, Chidge, that um, perhaps there's a, a fallout over Louise. Well, I
2: wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we don't know, do we? Of course, we can't no. know. But, I mean, you know, I do wonder, because they, they have a restaurant together yeah. you know, without, you know, reading too much into it. So, and, I mean, there has been a, a lot. I mean, without sounding all kind of Neil Ashton hiding in dustbins here, but, you know, you do get to hear things. And... Uh, you know the the Brazilian. You see, this is I I, I mean just just for people for people who are not privy to my my script as uh, Jonathan and uh, and Joe are. This is what I've written: shocking, but no preseason, and not fit yet. Rusty? Question mark. Is there a Louise issue? Does he want out? And the final thing: bloody Brazilians, eh? And I think maybe that's the the nub of it, J.K. Uh, the Brazilians are a funny bunch, aren't they? They really are. You know, I mean, look at Luis, how he's reacted going to Arsenal, you know, and, and he was up and down like a yo-yo. So, you know, Oscar was a bit weird. I mean, maybe there's something about the Brazilians, mate.
0: Well, having said that, though, you'd probably then have Jorginho throwing a hissy fit as well, wouldn't you? I mean, but like, he, technically, he's Italian. He's, I'm going to say he does play for Italy, So perhaps. That's, <laughs> that, that excuses him. But well, in which case, Kennedy... He's about as Italian as Costa is Spanish, to be fair. It's like Emerson. Emerson's it, it, um, Italian as well, isn't he? And he's not... He's uh, uh, is he, he's not Italian he's Brazilian as well isn't he Emerson
2: uh, I think he's Brazilian but he's also Italian I don't know somebody will probably know the answer to that by the way talking of stewards inquiries somebody on Mixter will tell us this in a minute uh, but Ramsey corrected himself and apparently uh, uh, players having a black box is legal now since 2015 so there you go you know you know Joe um, do, do you think we have a, a little bit of a problem with the boys from Brazil
1: I mean anyone who has any sort of Connections to any journalist or speaks to people in football would know that there are, let's say, a lot of anecdotal bits and pieces that come out that that Chelsea have not been super happy with some of the these sort of Brazilian and Spanish cliques that were kind of forming at the club, and it doesn't surprise me maybe that there's been some sort of attempt to to move that away. You know, they you, know, you see them in in training, whether there's any sort of behind the scenes video on the plane, on the tour, etc. They're kind of always grouped together, and I don't know. I mean, I think the loss of Luis. I would hope that William is is more professional than that in terms of letting something like that affect his play. Um, you know, it, it was you know in terms of cameos, you know, it was it was an utter horror show to be to be perfectly honest. And I, I take on on board the fact he hasn't a preseason, and it, it's it's really his sort of first meaningful football for for quite some time. But you know, I, I sort of agree with Jonathan. You know, if you, if you're coming on, the the kind of expectation is that I mean, you you at least you know you've got what 20 minutes at least run for 20 minutes, at least put some effort in. I think one of the passes that he played on the left-hand side, he, it was a simple five-yard up the line, and he he completely underhit, and it looked to me, you know, one of the laziest balls that you're likely to see. And then Leicester were kind of away again, so I, I don't know really if if it's a, a a rusty thing or whether he just needs to sort of mentally get back into into the swing of things. But you know, it wasn't great. But you know, to to your point about sort of the whole Brazilian thing, you know, there, there have been these these rumours around the club, or at least you know, sort of people that you talked to within the game that suggests that they've, that, you know, the club itself have not always been super happy with with some of the clickiness that the Brazilians have and, and some of the influence that they've had on the dressing room. So, you know, that may be the, the Luis thing. Maybe there's something in it. Maybe there isn't. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some sort of, uh, you know, kind of not necessarily rebellion, but, you know, some sort of disgruntlement from Willian about something because, you know, if uh, Alonso, I think the Spanish and Brazilian players are quite close. Alonso seems to have been demoted, although Emerson's been promoted. Up, I don't know. It's... No, I mean, it's, it's really, really difficult to tell, but, you know... Well, of course, because
2: we're not there, so we don't really know. We yeah. can only... I was going to say, we can only hypothesise, but I think hyperventilate might be a better way of describing it. Talking of hyperventilating, uh, there's been a lot of it about uh, with uh, hashtag Lampard out uh, stuff going on, the media absolutely ramming home this. Oh, well, you know... We'll get on his back soon and all that. So, we're going to talk all about that in uh, part three uh, what the media are up to with their agenda, what's really going on with social media, and uh, particularly when the match going support seems so resolute. And we're also going to say well done to Ashley Cole, who has announced his retirement. We'll be back very soon. Geegee, JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there? And it's not on TV.
0: Oh, chich! I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live—it's <laughs> all too much. <laughs> I
2: know, J.K. I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue.
1: They have.
2: Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do.
0: I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea.
1: Football
2: Right, welcome back. It's your old Uncle Chidge, Stamford Chidge, on the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, our second proper show of the season. It's great to be back. Uh, and I've got with me tonight Jonathan Kidd. Hello. And the wonderful Joe Tweedy. Evening, Kid. Lovely stuff. who have been fantastic so far. Um, now, the first thing, really, I just want to kind of hammer it. I kind of tease this right at the beginning by going off on a bit of a mini rant. But I'm really just astonished uh, by this constant, constant drivel coming out from the media who, who try and apologise for themselves initially by saying, well, of course, we know there's been a transfer ban and they've lost Eden Hazard. But really, Chelsea are absolutely shit. And it must be Frank Lampard's fault because he's useless as a manager and he's he's so inexperienced. So because of that, there's no way that Roman you know in spite of the fact that he knows all this there's no way that roman i mean you know if they're not in the top 4 by christmas he'll be gone or uh, and as for the chelsea fans i mean they're used to winning every year you know three defeats or if they don't win next week against norwich they'll they'll be they'll be wanting him out they're not going to be out they're not going to be patient they're not going to do what, i mean fuck me i mean all week i've had this everywhere you go whatever bloody tv program or radio star i've actually and i never do this because i'm a very tolerant man I've turned I've turned talk sport off. To, I've not listened to any sports uh, radio stations at all, not even Love Sport. I just won't do it because it's just doing my nutting. There's some agenda here. And then when we see a respected and Joe, Joe will know this guy, a respected journalist and very good author. I've read many of Jonathan Wilson's books. He's a he's the absolute expert on obscure kind of Eastern European football and a lovely bloke and he did what can only amount to be a hatchet job in the guardian this week saying that well you know lampard basically will be a manager like he was a player and basically he didn't know how to manage and organize the midfield which is why england of all people uh, basically used to get completely done in counter-attacks because he never protected the back four i mean i it's just unbelievable jonathan unbelievable
0: well i'm, I, I'm surprised also by the way that um Wrote the uh, the old chestnut of Roman um, leaving the club hasn't been brought up as well. Have you read about that? Has that been uh, been um, folded into the uh, into not the, into yet the but it Because yeah, it will, it's, yeah, it will be to be the case as well. But no, but it suits them, doesn't it, Chidge? It suits them to have a to have a, a whipping club. It suits them, you know, because if if it, it, it's it's perfect, it's it's a club down on it possibly down on its uppers with a new manager they look for the new manager's vulnerability they look for so they he, he comes up Jonathan Wilson with the fact that they were part of the you know the golden era and uh, and it didn't work so he he decides that therefore because he apparently didn't didn't couldn't um, help deal with counterattacks he's going to have the same problem as a manager when uh, if all you would need to say is you know, he was one of the most successful. You know, they won the Champions League for God's sake. They didn't appear to having a problem with counterattacks then. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm, you know, he's won it all. So, I'm, I'm, bem- well, I'm not bemused. It's inevitable. It's inevitable that everybody has a go, and uh, I, I, you just have to, he, he just has to win a few games, and then it'll all go quiet. But until he wins, and they're still at the bottom, it suits their agenda, doesn't it, Chich? Completely. It just, well, I think
2: it, it is an agenda, JK. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I, I mean, you know, I, I, the, on the other side of this coin, I, I don't want them to be blowing smoke out of uh, of uh, Frank's arse because he's Frank Lampard and everything else. What I really resent, Joe, is this. I, I don't know any supporters. I mean, OK, I, I'm going to get onto social media in a minute, but in the pub yesterday, with all the friends that I have, all the people that I know well who I go to Chelsea with or talk to, Everybody is really cool about what happens this season. Nobody is getting their knickers in a twist. Nobody is throwing the toys out the pram. Nobody is spitting their dummy out. They're all saying, we've got a transfer ban. We're stuck with the players we've got. They're not a bad side. We're capable of doing some good things this season, but we expect, you know, our expectations are much lower than they normally are. We're okay with that. A lot of us have been around a long time. In fact, I was in the pub talking about the 88-89 season. Because I happened to watch the DVD of that when we came back from the second division, uh, and I've had a brilliant season. We, you know, we've been we've been really realistic. Everybody loves Frank Lampard. Everybody's delighted to see somebody like him managing the club. Everybody is delighted to have a core of that great side we had for the early part of Raymond's reign back at the club. Everybody is delighted to see youngsters giving a chance. Everybody knows that they are young, so they will make mistakes. So the basically the 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 Chelsea sports I know, Joe, absolutely a hundred percent square behind Frank and not one is echoing what the media says. Why don't the media get off their fat overpaid lazy ignorant stupid asses and actually bother speaking to some supporters?
1: Yeah, I mean it's difficult to follow up that introduction, but um
2: sorry mate, I couldn't resist. No, I had a no, no. bloody go it, for it, it.
1: It's I mean the, the the Jonathan Wilson piece was was surprising to me because I mean it felt like that, that was kind of years of suppressed rage about Lampard for some reason kind of being spewed out in some kind of random tangential piece about his managerial style. I mean, for me, I, I, it didn't really make sense as a, as, as a piece, you know, talking as someone who who writes, and I, I know you do as well. It, it didn't really make sense in terms of what he was trying to sort of say and, and come across. I think, you know, Lampard is, is widely acknowledged as one of the most intelligent midfielders that's played the game. There probably has never been a midfield player who can exploit space in the way that Lampard does in the final third you can't account for the number of goals that he scored. It's not just by sheer luck. It's by intelligent movement and intelligent play. and to suggest that yes. he somehow cannot organise a midfield because, you know, reasons that are, 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 you know, so kind of esoteric that nobody really understands what is going on. But, I mean, you've got other guys, Jacob Steinberg, who's a, who's a huge West Ham fan. He seems to have an absolutely massive thing. Whenever there's a any kind of reason to have sort of a dig into Chelsea. You know, he seems to be the one with the big opinion piece that, you know, is is almost kind of, you know, salaciously writing stuff about Lampard as well. So I think I think it's just just one of those things. And I think to your point as well, is is this season, it's probably probably the season we've needed for a while where kind of expectations are, are tempered and I think people are understanding that this probably, you know, we use we we use the word a lot and we've heard the word transition season used. Many times over the past few years, but I think this probably now is is really a transition season for the club. We can't buy anyone. It's going to be very much based on what we have at the club. It's going to be kind of very much uh, a factor of the the academy talent that we have coming through, and and it's being run by pretty much an entire sort of homegrown Chelsea kind of staff as well. So it's kind of everything that I would imagine that a a match grown fan or, or a fan who's got a really deep connection with the club, you know, kind of enjoys. So I think that's also something to to highlight as well is that I think match-going fans will back Lampard even if we're sitting at 17th, 18th, 19th in the table. But I think there's obviously, there's a huge element of support for him as well from you know guys in America, the guys in London is, London is Blue podcast and, and all of the Chelsea in America people as well who who kind of understand and, and feel the club from that perspective, know that, that this is someone that they can invest in, that they want to succeed, that they will give time. And this notion, I mean, I, I keep hearing it in the media all, you know, when Chelsea fans will will turn on Lampard I mean we were we were one point off the relegation zone under Jose Mourinho and, and fans were still singing Mourinho's name yeah. every single week you know they were backing totally Antonio Conte when Conte you know in hindsight maybe you know down tools fans are still backing him they've only really not got behind managers who who didn't sort of invest in emotionally or get the club your AVBs your Benitez's I mean you can you know Scolari Scolari you you can you can very, I think, you know, you can very easily separate, you know, left and right, who the the people that got the backing and, and and their connection with the club and how they how they felt and understood the club. And I think this season we'll really kind of see a huge division between the the kind of let's say maybe a younger generation of Chelsea fans who've grown up with just you know success after success after success, and you know they were really into Sari and what Sari was trying to do at the club, and Lampard almost being kind of the sort of antithesis of Sari in that you know he. He wears a suit. He, he's kind of, you know, English and, and he's he's trying to play a slightly different style of football. And and maybe he he kind of goes against some of the, the principles that people, for whatever reason, liked last season. I think that you'll you'll see from last season. I don't think it will be as, let's say, as vitriolic as last season, because I think you'll find most I mean, it seems to be like most people now are just sort of muting and, and blocking some of these these accounts that, that, you know, they're on sort of their 30th or 40th iteration at this point because they keep getting banned. Um, they're kind of being muted out and the conversation at least from my perspective seems to be a little bit more like it was maybe two, three seasons ago so you, you'll you still get the divide I think for fans but I think it's it's crucial which what you say is, is when journalists consult Chelsea fans that they pick people that you know, have an understanding of the club and it you know, doesn't have to be match-going people all the time I think in some cases... No, I no, it
2: doesn't. Actually, Joe, I'm going to butt in there. No, 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 I, 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 know, I know what I, you're saying. I'm just saying,
1: I'm just sort of
2: making the... No, 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 I, I just
1: want to put yeah. for my own sake, yeah. really,
2: because I, I don't want to get labelled as, uh, you know, a pound shop Dan Levine here uh, for, <laughs> uh, you know, for coating off overseas fans, because yeah. that is not the divide. No, it's not the
1: divide at
2: all. No. Exactly. There's plenty that we know. We were in the pub with some of them on, on Sunday, but I know plenty uh, on Twitter who have never been to a match, but get this. Yeah. So it's not that's exactly. not the dividing line, yeah. is it?
1: And I think that's uh, I think it was, was CFC Callum. People who, who know Callum goes to you know, pretty much every Chelsea game possible. He wrote a great piece about you know you're either with Lampard or you know you're against us. So he had this fantastic quote that summed up the piece. And no, I think that 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 for me sums it up is that Lampard will get time from the fans, the fans who really buy into the club that that kind of understand this is what they are trying to do, trying to do something different. We're trying to sort of create this foundation for the future. I think people will buy into that and I don't see a, a way really, unless you buy into all these sort of stupid trending hashtags from people sending pictures to Joe Edwards and Jodie Morris with players' faces crossed out and all this kind of weird stuff that, that people do on social media these days. If you put that in a box and kind of lock it away, then I think you've you've got largely a, a, a massive, overwhelming kind of majority of people who will support Lampard and, and the, the coaching staff and support what the club's trying to do. You know, it's a bit a very, very brave appointment from Abramovich. Maybe it was the only appointment he could have made. Maybe they, they couldn't attract the, the calibre or, or the CV of manager they've had previously given the transfer ban. But, you know, you have to kind of back the appointment. I think you've got to back Lampard. And, you know, the, the, the hope is that this season, you know, you've you've got to hope for the best. And, and then hopefully there's a foundation that we can build upon going forward.
2: Joe, that was absolutely brilliant. My rant was wonderful, but your sense was even... Yeah, I, I, exactly, Jonathan. I, I very rarely does anybody get the clap on the fan cast, But, Joe, Joe you deserved it, mate. Uh, and I mean that in the nicest possible sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard to add to that. I mean, actually, I will add to it on, on one little bit because I was like a very interesting chat with Martin uh, Wickham, who is the chief uh, uh, author of the Conspiracy theories Abounding Social Media activity. Um, and, and I do wonder, actually, there is some... I mean, it is more getting more and more and more mental on social media. And I, I don't even... I mean, I think half the problem is that the journalists are just bloody lazy, you know, so frankly they just look at twitter and find what suits their agenda but actually i think the reality is this whole hashtag lampard thing out from what i understand and actually i did see a piece on being believe it or not where the journalist interviewed actually said well actually when she looked at it it was more people coating off the uh, the lampard out hashtag rather than people subscribing to it and and i think a lot of it is attention seeking and weird but martin's got an even better theory jonathan because i was talking to him in the pub about this he reckons that the, the 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 there are a lot of the, the same people the same russian uh kind of bot farms that have been very much at the heart of the 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 dark areas of the trump election and the brexit uh referendum uh are also trying to divide and conquer us by splitting us in terms of football and if you think about the massive outreach that chelsea has in terms of social media it's a quite clever thing to do but martin came up with an even better one actually yesterday in the pub he thinks that gambling syndicates are are behind some of this mad shit and if you look at some of the the hashtag people who've put them up they have the classic uh, you know bot tell which is name strange profile which doesn't quite it is too good to believe in a sense and then a whole series of numbers after them but he thinks that basically gambling syndicates are doing this because if they kind of get some momentum like this going there's a chance that they might be able to win on the betting markets and i think martin is a very very clever guy and i think he might have a point there jk
0: so uh, these people don't actually exist and they're just all bots is that the idea
2: well, yeah, troll farms, bot farms, call them what you will. But it's 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 done to manipulate us
0: all, actually. I, I do sound a bit tin hat them, here. Some of but... them are definitely um, uh, supporters of other teams. Cause, yeah, uh, that could be true. Uh, it, it just seems to be so ludicrous, some of this, these debates. Like I told you the one on Friday about this guy. said, here are the following targets for Lampard after the transfer ban. What do we think of this? And then he had... A huge number of people saying, "Oh, he's gone mad. Lampard's mad. Lampard out." And it was yeah. just complete. It, it was, you know, as a, a kind of conjecture. You think, "Yeah, but there isn't. Why? How do you know this? What's this all about?" And yet, it's it, it's it's stated as a fact. And um, whether it's then opposition fans coming in, or as you say, or bots or whatever. I mean, it's just it. But it it suits. I, I'll keep going on about this. It it suits journalists to have chelsea not doing very well because there's a, a large amount of jealousy uh, of the of the, the fact the club has won 16 trophies in 16 years and and it it's it, it, it it's not people like to have a top club not doing well they always hope at some part of the uh, uh, when whenever chelsea implode for whatever reason there's a kind of of vicious pleasure involved with it. And what always happens, of course, is we then bounce back and win a trophy. I mean, they were convinced towards the end of the season that Arsenal were going to completely, were going to do one, do us over in the Europa League. Maybe even Perry Groves to mention, you know.
2: Well, on, on that point play. about Perry, mate, it's interesting, isn't it? Because John Cross came out with some absolute bollocks on Sunday That's supper. Perry did... Perry did the same this morning, and of course there's a unifying thing there, they're both Arsenal fans, yeah. and I think that they're basically desperate that we are as disloyal and appalling as Arsenal fans were, who throw their toys out of the pram at the slightest bloody hiccup, and basically got rid of uh, Wenger by doing that. I mean, okay, there's a case for saying Wenger should have gone, I get that. But we're not like that. We are not Arsenal. We are not Man United. We're actually basically an incredibly loyal supporter base. Last season was different, I know, weird circumstances. But on the whole, we always applaud players that come back. We, um, we're we respectful of the managers. We back the team and the managers all the way up to the end. Joe's point about Mourinho was brilliant. And then I hear in the media, oh, well, you know, Chelsea fans got rid of Mourinho. Chelsea fans, as Joe said, we 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 backed Mourinho until the moment he was sacked and beyond. So... You know, I just think it's mad. I think Joe's advice, Jonathan, about putting all of this crap uh, in Twitter in a box and uh, chucking it away is the best advice I've heard for ages. Nick Stroudley wrote a really interesting blog, people, by the way, which we we put up on the fancast website with some advice about how to deal with Twitter and 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 not allow these idiots to get on your timeline. It was really interesting, but I shall I shall direct you there. Um, Okay, we're going to move on because we've we've ranted about that long enough. I think on on a happier note. we should say well done, Ashley Cole, who's announced his retirement uh, on uh, on the telly yesterday at the game. Uh, 107 England caps, three Premier Leagues, seven FA Cups, which I think is a record for a player. Champions League, Europa League, twice in the UEFA team of the year. Uh, Joe, uh, I know he, he's our greatest ever left-back. It's a case to say he's uh, the greatest left-back of all time in England, isn't it?
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, I think you'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to, to argue otherwise. I think he's... Probably the best, the best left back in Premier League history. Definitely the best English left back of all time. Argument, argument to be made that he's the best English defender of all time. And I think probably again when you go through some of these uh, players that we've had, have been absolutely excellent. You know, I think Cole probably for a, maybe a two, three, maybe four-year period was was probably the best player in his position in the world. And you can have arguments about certain players, but I think Cole's performance levels. Um, You know, you go back to individual games that he had against Ronaldo and some of these, you know, Messi, he's been unbelievable against in terms of his his ability. I think he genuinely was the best left back in the world for for quite a while. And even when he wasn't the best, he was still, you know, the the second or third best left back in, uh, you know, probably in world football. So, you know, an incredible player, I think, again, a, a quiet leader. You know, I think one of these guys who... His personality comes through more when other players talk about him, you know, despite the perception that the media has, has kind of generated about him. He seems quite a humble down-to-earth guy. Other people do do the sort of talking for him. Um, and I still think he has probably one of the the best uh, sort of post-match interviews ever after Munich, that casual comment about, you know, that they say the Germans don't lose on penalties and he sort of looks at the camera and has that little smile and says, they do now, and just walks off to, to wherever he's going to go. I think that, that for me is my all-time favourite, you know, Ashley Cole kind of moment, was, you know, all of the fantastic stuff, the goal line clearances, the, the phenomenal defensive performances that he had, being one of the best players in one of the best Chelsea teams and best periods we've ever had. All of that aside, I just think that his, his performances, I think he had the goal line clearance against Napoli. He was playing at centre-half, wasn't he, I think, in the new Camp for like 20 minutes as some sort of de facto centre-half and, uh, you know, incredible Munich probably took the best penalty in Munich as well. That penalty in the bottom corner with a little stutter step was incredible considering Neuer dived full length and still couldn't get it. Um, but just uh, an exceptional player. And I actually think as well, when you listen to some of the younger players talk about his influence and how he was with them, you know, a great player for for academy players to look up to as a reference point. And if rumours are to be to be sort of you know, taken to be true, it looks potentially like he might be coming back to the club as a coach. And,
3: yeah. you know,
1: for, for young fullbacks that we've got, and particularly I'm looking at, you know, you've got a couple of young Dutch lags, Wayne Castillo Ian Mattson, and Matson, and some of the other fullbacks. Who better to learn to learn fullback play from them? probably one of the best to ever do it?
0: Yeah, the, Joe, well, brilliant, Jonathan. He set such a precedent, though, isn't it? I I always look at look at fullbacks and think, yeah, no, exactly. as good as Cole. You know, you know, nowhere near as good as Cole. It's that was that's the that's the dilemma for me. Is uh, he was marvellous, completely marvellous, marvellous player. Um, uh, in a marvelous team and uh, uh, and there's an argument there that they've they've um failed to keep that level uh, and uh, and the board should subsequently consequently be um uh, not have a great deal of approval um but uh, now completely brilliant phenomenal player and uh, um, you know, they attempted to have a go at him all the time for for some you know because of his relationship with uh, with Cheryl Tweedy, and, uh, and that was just beyond the pale, really. But typical, typical journalism. It should just left him to his football, which, uh, which he just expressed by being, uh, you know, the, the his what he won was his testament to his brilliance. Hundred and seven caps, superb, wonderful. Play.
2: Yeah, here bloody here. Well done, Ashley Cole. All right, we're going to move on because uh, time is. Uh... Is you're beating us as always, and we've got load, Jonathan. We've got six emails <gasps> to read out, plus a load of uh, a load of parish notices. So we'll be back very soon for our final part. And uh, don't go away. The emails are fantastic this week, so do stick around for those. Real
0: fans, real opinions.
1: I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Football Fancast.
2: Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast. We're on the home straight. This is part four. I am Stanford Chidge, and I'm joined by the uh, irrepressible Mr. Jonathan (coughs) Kidd and the ever, ever, ever erudite Mr. Joe Tweedy. Evening, Chidge. Always lovely to hear Joe on the show. We're very privileged to have another Joe on round the show. of applause. As much course, as we do, round that. of applause. I know. I mean, actually, I'm doing a bit of squad rotation. I kind of looked at my schedule because I kind of started starting to miss people. I haven't haven't seen Clayton for ages or Alex. I'm thinking, you know, we've kind of gone down to a three man team. You know, because I try to like you know make everybody's lives easier. But I'm beginning to miss everybody because it's like takes weeks for them to come round again. But uh, always lovely to have Joe with us. So grateful that he spends the time with us, too. All right. Uh, We have some parish notices uh, loads this week. A lot of people are doing stuff with for charity, which is a good thing. And actually, we heard from uh, Rob uh, Thompson uh, last week, as you may or may not recall, who was talking about uh, the awfulness of uh, picking up European away tickets. Uh, where they make you pick them up in the town. Anyway, he says, running for Jacob Rice. Hello, Chelsea fancast, Myself and a few Chelsea regulars, including a QPR fan, I don't think he's a Chelsea regular, but anyway, are running the Great North Run this September in memory of Jacob Rice, who tragically lost his battle with leukaemia in April 2018, aged just two. We're fundraising for Leukaemia UK and would appreciate any help raising our total... Would you mind giving us a shout-out? Well, no, not, not at all. Um, please see the link below, which is virginmoneygiving.com. Uh, basically, if I was you, I would just go to virginmoneygiving.com uh, and then enter in Jacob's Joggers in the uh, search bit, and then you'll find it. He says, many thanks. Come on, you blues, Rob Thompson. And I know, who, I know these people are, are people that I, I know well. Julie, the lovely Julie O., who I saw very briefly in the pub, in the cock on Sunday and shouted very loudly I love you I love you Juju I think as she went past and I do and uh, Alfie and the lovely Kenny Rice King Kenny if you if you're on Chelsea Chelsea FT as the youngsters like to call it uh you'll probably know Kenny Rice and Adam and of course Rob so do support that if you can and on a similar vein uh running for pieces to pathways uh, on Saturday the 21st Sorry, the 24th of August, the lovely Claire McConnell, who may well be in here tonight and is definitely coming over to England very soon because I am definitely meeting Claire. She's a massive fan of the show and a long term friend of the show. But she's doing her second annual 10K run to raise funds for Pieces to Pathways, P2P, uh, which is Canada's first LGBTQ youth substance use programme. Wow. Wow. For clients aged 16 to 29 who live in Toronto, Claire's son Tim, who is uh, also an avid blues supporter, is the team lead for this program, which Claire and Tim helped to found. And the money will be used to pay for food and transport transportation for the evening drop-ins that happen three times a week. Last year, Claire raised 900 uh, Canadian dollars, and this year she hopes to raise a thousand. Uh, Canadian dollars, and if you want to donate and help Claire, she's a lovely lady, and she's often in in the mix of the room with you lot, so uh, do help if you can. Go to breakawayaddictions.ca and on the main page, click on Become a Donor, then click on Click Here to make a donation online, and then there's a link to Claire, so go and do that for our friend Claire. Well done you. Uh, Another friend of ours, um, we are, as you know, uh, although I haven't put it on the website yet, because I must get my finger out of my rear end, but we... Uh, our, our official charity partner is the Paul Cannaval Foundation because we love Canners and he's a massive friend of the show. And uh, following on from his very successful Black... Well, he didn't do the Black History Month, but Black History Month turns up once a year in England. And uh, Paul obviously will be involved with that. And he is proudly presenting a Black and Blue Legends Christmas party, which is a night celebrating past, present and future black players at Chelsea. There will be a Q&A session with high-profile Chelsea panel of players and celebrities. And he had some really good people in there last year, I think. I mean, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, I certainly recall. But he gets some good people turning up who are ex-Chelsea players, black Chelsea players. And uh, they'll be socialising all night, partying till late. Tickets are complimentary, and there will be dancing to ska, reggae, and R&B. And there'll be a raffle, a silent auction, a cash bar. It's on Monday, the 2nd of December, uh, 6.30 to 1am under the bridge. So there's a good chance there might not be a Chelsea fan cast on that particular night in December. But uh, I, you can get tickets, I think, from Eventbrite, uh, but not. And I think it's the uh, 2nd of September they open. So keep your eyes skinned. We'll keep plugging that. Uh, talking of plugs, uh, thank you to our new Patreons. Uh, we got a load of in last week. You're all very lovely people. Um, I never know whether you mind me kind of shouting you out or not. So I'm going to err on the side of caution and, and I'm not going to read you out unless you, you like me to. I kind of got to find a way to kind of make this work better. But uh, lovely that you should come and join us. Um, maybe if I go John, Gordon, JL. Uh, just for starters, um, then you know who I mean. There are new ones. Yaroslav. Matthew. I got a message from Matthew. I owe him a message. Uh, but brilliant. I love it when you keep in touch with me through Patreon. I will try and respond. I've been very busy this weekend. But uh, if you like what you do, it's easy to become a Chelsea FanCast patron. It helps cover the uh, cost of running all the shows that I, we do and uh, hopefully helps me to keep on doing them. Uh, p- please feel free to donate whatever you want to per show Or per month. And I think it's becoming of me to remind you, Patreon take your money out once a month. So, you know, it's a kind of a a regular ongoing thing. So for God's sake, don't put like a huge amount in. I wouldn't want to bankrupt you all. Uh, But I mean, I always say that the fancy, the main Chelsea fancy in CFC UK is only a pound. So, you know, put in a dollar or a dollar a show, whatever you want, that kind of magnitude really. Don't push the boat out too far i'll feel terribly guilty but as i said it's a good way to get hold of us and you know you can be involved with the show that way message me get something read out on air that kind of stuff there are special goodies awaiting you too because as i said last week there's a kerry dixon mini banner for uh i think about our first 50 uh our first 50 patreons um and as english dan says i'd rather you buy you pints in person that is always most welcome and gratefully received Uh, Although, bear in mind, if it's a Sunday, I can only have two pints because I have to drive. So pick a Saturday when I can take full advantage of your generosity. Right, enough. Uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust. Join the Trust. Get your voice heard by the club. It's free to join up to be a member. But if you want to badge and you want to be able to vote and attend the meetings, we had our AGM this uh, Saturday. It's five quid a year. Easy to sign up. ChelseaSportsTrust.com is where you should go. And you can follow them on Twitter at Chelsea S Trust. And on a personal note, uh, my term as the chairman of the Sports Trust. I've been chairman for the last three years. Uh, and we are only allowed to do a, a stint of three years. So that's me done uh, as the chairman. Uh, thank you to everybody who has supported me personally uh, in my activities on the Trust who listen to the show. There are many of you I know. Uh, And I just wanted to get a shout out to you lot and say thank you very much. It's been much appreciated. But the work continues. Uh, I am standing for election. The election this year is uncontested. So everybody who stood will get in. And uh, there'll be a new board meeting in September. So the work continues. But thank you for your support. It's been greatly, greatly appreciated. And finally, 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 uh, the Chelsea Pitch Owners. If you want to own a little bit of Chelsea and protect the future of the club, go and buy a share in the CPO. They, of course, own the freehold of Stamford Bridge. And their aim is to ensure that Chelsea will always play at Stamford Bridge. If you want to know how to get a share easy, email info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out chelseafc.com. Forward slash fans forward slash Chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners and you can follow them on Twitter at pitch owners. The shares are about thirty odd thirty five quid I think now they've come down a lot in price so it's well worth doing. Okay, pause for breath. First email. Okay, I'm doing the first one uh, this week, J.K. Just to kind of schedule it all out, uh, and it's from our friend Russ Saunders. He says, "Hello, all and Chidge. I wanted to plug the next Chelsea supporters gathering among Australian." Perhaps Kiwis 2 on this island, thousands of miles away from South West 6. We aim to do them each season, and the last one was as recent as Easter this year. That was in Adelaide, and they ran a great weekend, but the TV schedule fucked us up by uh, putting the match on a Tuesday morning our time, and everyone had departed for their respective cities. So to combat the evil TV companies... We have gone with the last match in September, a midnight kick-off against Brighton. How about that, a midnight kick-off? Blimey. A shorter turnaround to get organised as the dates were only confirmed in July. The concept of the national gatherings were always to be built around watching a match together. Uh lost my place in the whole thing. Where have I got to? Here we go. We've missed out by the rearranging of matches three times out of ten, so we're planning to stay with early season from now on and thus ensuring a Saturday night match. The host city this season is the Gold Coast, which is on the border of Queensland and New South, a lovely part of the world too. Sunshine is almost guaranteed in that part of the country, so for those of us living in the cooler south coast, it will be a nice change. The weekend does clash with a significant event in Australia. The Aussie Rules Grand Final in Melbourne. So some diehard Victorians would rather chop an arm off than to travel interstate for for it. But that said, we've got a few mostly expats travelling from Melbourne. The weekend will have planned events, typical of that part of the country, no doubt. Swimming with great white sharks. I I do hope he's joking. Uh, Avoiding drop bears whilst walking under trees. Going to the Steve Irwin Zoo and saying "Crikey" all the time and blindfold taste tests between sparkling water and their local beer. 4x Gold. No, there isn't any difference. I think. Jo- I think Russell may well have been joking there, Jonathan. Anyway, it's a new loca- Well, I, indeed, I, it's a new location for the 11th edition of, the, of this Chelsea weekend. They're always good fun getting together with Chelsea family from all parts of Australia and New Zealand. So, if you'd like to take part in the weekend, email Tane on Coast at gmail.com to register your interest. Or, if you're outside of Queensland, you can contact your local Australian club. The weekend is the 28th and 29th of September, so uh, note that in your Australian diaries or any diary if you're a Chelsea fan in the area on those dates. Russ, Melbourne Chelsea supporters. P.S. we finally got long-time Melbourne listeners Daniel Barker and Rob Delcini signed up this year. Well, that is great news. I love those two boys, as you know, Russ, and I love you too. So, me and Jonathan will definitely be there in the Gold Coast on the 28th and 29th of September, won't we, Jake? Of
0: course, we will, yes. Saying hello to Tane, Tame, tame Cubic. Now we'll be saying, good day, mate. Yeah, exactly. hey Good day, mate. And how do you feel about getting whipped in the ashes, mate? That's right. Right in the middle of the ashes. Good. Yeah. Um, Ben Short, dear Chidge and Jonathan. Thank you very much, Ben. Hope you're both well. We are. May I say it's fantastic to have you back, thank you, and doing the show. It's been a long summer. i found myself eagerly awaiting the release of the Love Sports Show on Saturday morning. Yeah. Now, the season's underway. I'm incredibly happy about Frank being in charge, not to mention very excited about players like Mount, Tammy, and Tamori getting a chance, because for so long, we've been calling for young English talent in our first team. Mount looks like the real deal in my eyes, yeah, and in my eyes too, and in all our eyes, I think. Um uh, onto the results, of course. Losing 4-0 to nil to United wasn't ideal. But I'm not concerned because, in truth, we were the better side. We dominated Liverpool in the Super Cup. And, unfortunately, anything can happen when it goes to penalties. And Leicester, well, we started off so well. And Mount took his goal and created that chance for himself, a real gem. Our next game against Norwich will be three points. Hopefully, Tammy can get scoring. I like your optimism, Ben. One thing I'm disappointed by is all the social media negativity about Frank and this city. Hashtag Lampard out. Absolute rubbish. And if you look at who's making these types of comments, people have never been to the bridge in their lives. We all know it's the circumstances the club finds themselves in, why Frank is in charge and why the youth are getting a chance. A transfer ban's in effect. Let's get on with it and support our legend and team. Another good thing about this transfer ban is since we haven't signed anyone and with the sale of players like Marata and Hazard, our financial fair play will be really good. So next summer we can make a few fine additions to the side. Absolutely. But what is key is that we don't just buy anyone. We need to have a plan and make sure it's the right signing. A lot of people have criticised Liverpool for not signing anyone. But the truth is Klopp decided there was no one he could fit into the team. And I believe that approach is better for the club in the long run. I'm by no means praising Liverpool or Klopp, but they're getting it right, much to my dismay. I believe the results will get better. Yes, we do have a transfer ban. But when players like Rudiger, William, Loftus-Cheek and hudson Adoy get back. William, not sure about it will feel like four signings and you can't fully judge Chelsea until those players are back. I'd also like to give a shout out to Ashley Cole, who yesterday announced his retirement. What a player he was, indeed. And another player from our night in Munich. What a legend he is. Best of luck, Ashley. Hope to see you back at the bridge. Guys again it's great to have you back. I can't wait for the next show. Ever faithful Ben. Thanks, Ben. Lovely mail. Thank you, mate
2: super email that um basically echoing a lot of what we were saying joe wasn't it earlier on you know everybody's
1: behind the bloody team we all get what's going on right absolutely yeah i mean it's it goes to show as well you know the point i think the point you're making earlier is that you have people who get the club all around the world and you know i think the, the email that, that said about you know watching a match at midnight i mean i i like the nfl but i, I don't stop until two in the morning watching games i'm not I'm not that dedicated to it, even though I I watch quite a lot of it. So, I mean, it just goes to show you that people uh, are quite willing to stay up until ridiculous hours in the morning and get up at ridiculous times to to watch and follow the team. And that sort of sentiment and positivity behind Lampard seems to be something that is a a very common thread amongst people that I believe get and and understand the club.
2: Yeah, totally right. And uh, that was, by the way, Ben, the email of the week. So, well done to you. There's no prize, just the glory of it. Uh, Anyway, next email... From Andrew Davies. This tickled me ping, JK, and I'll explain why in a minute. But uh, Chidge, JK, and the gang. First off, let me say what a welcome sight, question mark, it is to have the fan cast back on our radio waves after a much-deserved summer break. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. Um, after being a passive listener for a few years, uh, I decided that upon attending our first home match of the season yesterday, I would see what the fuss is about and change the location of the pre-match pint to the cock. Looking to do a bit of stargazing and hopefully buy Chidge and the gang a pint. Mate, mate, if you'd have bought Chidge and the gang a pint, it would have been a very expensive round. Uh, the old man was a bit reluctant. We usually stop in the pub just before Fulham Broadway. And old men don't like change. Don't I know that? But in a strange twist of fate, it seems... That it's currently closed. After a few pints of Guinness, despite the excellent ambience and gathering of what appeared to to me to be a fine collection of proper shelves, or I think yadars as they're now called, the infamous Stamford Chidge was nowhere to be seen. I felt a little downcast, but as luck would have it, as we headed towards the bridge, I think I saw Chidge heading in the direction uh, of the cock on the other side of the road. Stage fright caught me and all I could muster my best polite nod in his general direction Uh, onto the game and on the whole, despite the fanfare of Frank's return, I think it was our poorest showing of the season. A bright start tailed off and I think in the end we were lucky to get a point. Well, yeah, there's some truth in that. Uh, That said, there's a bounce in the step of every Chelsea fan again. And it's nice to see the bridge united once more. It will be a roller coaster of a season, but hey, it will be a fun ride. Keep up the great work as always. Cheers, Andrew. See, again, absolutely spot on. Everybody's happy. Everybody's buzzing again. Everybody is united there. That is the main thing that's coming along. Even if it's a bit pants, we don't care. We're just enjoying the ride, which is how it should be. Now, here's the thing, JK. Yes. I wonder if... uh, I do remember walking past somebody... And kind of nodding, you know, and nodding in in kind of I don't know, kind of rec. But I, I wonder if this was Andrew because I saw that I was, I was, this bloke was walking kind of towards me, and I was staring at his T-shirt because it was a, it was a Joe Strummer Strummerville T-shirt, which I I was kind of uh, you were coveting, you, know, you wanted. I didn't was you? yes, I did yes. exactly. I was coveting it, and I was so I must have looked a bit weird that I was looking at this bloke's chest or or tummy. Uh, but anyway, I caught his eyes and he kind of looked at me with a bit of recognition and he kind of nodded. I wonder if that might have been you, Andrew. And if it was you, you should have come up and said hello. You should have said hello, mate. Do it. Always, always come and say hello. We love that. Chidge, anyway. Why
0: don't you get a T-shirt of yourself with I am Chidge written on it and then people won't that, won't have any problem. That would be a bit weird. Yeah, it would be. But at least, you know, we wouldn't be, yeah. you know, yeah. your fans yeah. would know who you were.
2: I, I am Chidge in case I forget. As well, really. there's
0: always that, yeah.
2: Yes, yes. I've lost my carer. Please return to the cock tavern. That
0: that would be good. Yeah, please, please, yes. If found, please return to 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 the cock tavern. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Good idea. Like that. This is email number four, Jordan Harbin. Hello to Tij and you crazy lot. My name is Jordan Harbin. I hail from the US of A. Longtime listener, first time emailing. I've supported the Blues since Mourinho Mark I and the Russian Roman. My love affair started with the blinding talent of golden ice god Ida Good Johnson. Hang on. And Admiral JT commanding his line from the back. This team was truly electric, defending and countering. It was a sight to behold, as you all know very well. I began to drink in this, drink in this cocktail of football whenever I could get the chance, which all be it was seldom in the states. Nevertheless I fed this insatiable blue hunger, I'm liking this mail, along with my brother with this wonderful pod thank you. I used to love the cackles from the benches and the song from the weekend etc. You've all made my love that much stronger for it so I thank you my writing to you has a twofold purpose. Here we go firstly I'm constantly amazed at the goosebumps, that's goose pimples to us older people, I feel every time I see Frank on the touchline because of what he means to these kids and this class And to us, there's a feeling around this club that is much alike what it used to be, a feeling, but possibly more so a belief. The sheer testament of former players returning to the club and simply wanting to get involved in any way possible should tell you all you need to know. This is Chelsea. I almost couldn't say it then. This is Chelsea. Our youth cannot say enough about these boys. Sometimes, as fans, we we um, we can look at a youth player and post. Wow, he's holding his own out there. Look at him. However, this is not the case with our lads. These boys that are constantly being slated on Twitter, as I've now come to call Twitter, do not care if their opposition has just won a Champions League title or has world-class players on their squad. They will fight and play the way that has been so engraved upon their hearts. We're experiencing the fruits of patience, but more importantly, trust they deserve to wear the blue regardless of the ban last year and at some points the seasons before we felt a lack of desire commitment and hunger not these lads they've drunk the sweet sweet icy blue kool-aid and they believe tammy's hold up play and strength mason's pace and turn and the youth to come in my opinion those fat pie-munching Twitter mongers can go slink back into their Battlestar Galactica-themed lairs in their mom's basement. They will never be worthy, let alone half as worthy to wear the blue that these boys so boldly do. It feels as though an identity has been restored to the King's Road, something in our pursuit of trophies and endless managerial changes might have halted previously. Every match, even every news release, I feel something different, something of old. This is the club I fell in love with. Sari ball, nappy shitting can sod off. To you lot, thank you for supporting the youth and the rest of the squad for us in the stands on match day. We know they can't hear us chanting from our living room couches or our local pubs, but we know they hear you. I can thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for being true supporters and getting behind this club. Secondly, my wife and I are looking at moving to London for a year. Oh! Perfect, perfect. I'm the travelling nurse here in the States in the process of gaining UK uh, licences, stroke certifications, stroke work visas, etc., which take approximately a year or so to process. I can only hope to catch a few matches and throw down a couple of pints. On me with you lovely gents. I look forward to hopefully meeting you all soon. Yes, please. Probably next season or so. I've been to the bridge the day after the 2015 pandemic uh, 2-2 draw against David Louise's God rest his soul, PSG, and a day before a league match to Southampton. It would be nice to watch a proper match, unlike the riffraff of American commercialist charity matches we so gratefully enjoy here in the colonies. All I can say is thank you for inspiring us from across the pond and up the Chelsea with all the warmth and a bit of celery jordan h ps during the process of composing this i've read this entire mail in my head via the sultry tones of jk uh, thank you very much jordan hope i was sultry enough for you it was a very dramatic mail i couldn't read it in any other way i felt there ought to have been a um, a big stirring theme tune behind it um not blue is the color something else perhaps um Blue uh, day. Yeah, blue day. Yeah, Exactly. What I was about to say, Chidge. Exactly. exactly. You'd earn some royalties then, wouldn't you? Uh, no, no, no. I get nothing. I was merely, uh, I got uh, uh, got given a pie for doing that.
2: A pie? Uh, well, you know, I'd do anything for a pie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great
0: email. Great, great email. Beautifully Jordan. written. Yeah. Beautifully written, Jordan. And lovely, yeah. lo- lovely, great passion in it. A lovely, passionate mail. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. Well done. Marvellous. All uh, right.
2: Uh, next email's from Daryl Middleditch. And he says, Good evening, Chidge and JK. First-time emailer, so please forgive the ramble. Now, I can't profess to have been a Chelsea fan since Madar took me to my first game as a nipper, having moved around the country until my middle teens, and not in any one place long enough to form an attachment to any club, but long enough to remember that it's not always been cup finals and world-class players. My memories are of the 90s, having come straight back to the top flight after relegation. Cup final in 94, sadly reminded of that last Sunday. Yeah, I know, it's funny that a lot of people were saying that last week reminded them of the 4-0 in the cup final. And then in the years following, the arrival of players I've watched and admired on Football Italia on Channel 4, maybe getting towards the twilight of their playing days, but what an impact they had on the club. And then possibly the best day I've ever had supporting Chelsea... But it's not that night in Munich. It was the 14th of May, 2000, last day of the season. I took my then four-year-old daughter to her first game in which we beat Derby 4-0. She fell asleep, though, uh, through the first half, her little legs worn out after visiting every toy shop in West London, but was able to make the second half clutching the teddy bear purchased from the club shop only an hour or so earlier. Happy, happy days. But we now live in different times, and the reason I felt compelled to mail... Uh, the success that followed post-2003, as you well know, brought with it a new type of fan and the inv- uh, and the invention of social media even more so. Then last season, I thought it had reached a whole new level until this morning, day after the Super Cup loss. The abusive tweets I saw screenshots of aimed at Tammy disgusted me. I don't want these people anywhere near our club, and I hope to God Tammy never gets to see them.' This team, with Lamps and Jody at the helm, will go on to great things if given the time. Of that, I have no doubt. We've been asking for the youth to get their chance. For years, we've had one of the finest academies on the planet, and now it's their time. Jodie knows these players inside out, and in Frank, we have a manager that knows what it takes to go from a so-called alright player to a world-class player, given the right tutoring along with hard work. So, to all those so-called fans, get behind this team or fuck off. As for those fuckwits in North London, uh, they better make hay whilst the sun shines, although they never will. Bottle jobs now and forever. London is blue, always has been, always will be, will be back. Keep up the good work, guys. Always a joy to listen to on a Tuesday morning, if Spotify get their act together, uh, when I'm going through emails in the office. Stand your pint at some point, hopefully. Keep the blue flag flying high. Regards, Daryl Middleditch, one of those yadars, apparently. Brilliant email, Daryl. And I just want to say, actually, uh, on on that point, um, it, 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 it's my firm belief. I'd it'd be interested to hear what the the two. Boys, I'm going to Jonathan. I'm going to mute you for a second. You're making lots of noise in the background. Actually, do you know what I do? You know what I won't because I did. I did that to Dan once, and I couldn't get him back. Do you remember? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I right. found I found the I'm mute button on on, on Skype.
0: I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here.
2: Oh, I don't know what it is. It's just some weird noise. It, it's it's your um. You, well, I've said this to you before. Uh, You're flashing, not literally, obviously, because we don't have the beauty of you doing that in full video. But it's it's weird. I think it might be some feedback from me, actually. Anyway, whatever. Uh, serious point to a serious point that Daryl made in the in the email. I I I really do not think for one minute that uh, anybody who racially abused Tammy on social media. Has been within a thousand miles of this club. Well, maybe that's unfair, but I don't think any of them will ever go there. These are just people who are trying to, uh, you know, gain attention on social media. I just cannot. I, I mean, maybe I'm ignorant. I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I just. These are not Chelsea supporters. They are not Chelsea supporters. There was not one person in that stadium on Saturday, on Sunday, I guarantee you, who would have racially abused Tammy Abraham for missing a penalty. I'm just not buying it. Uh, we were talking about it in the cock, funnily enough, in the pub, and we were all saying much the same thing. I'm just not buying it. There's a whole group of attention-seeking, frankly, pathologically you know, disturbed people that have latched themselves onto this club, I think. And a lot of it is through social media. They're not Chelsea supporters, so I'm just not having it. I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I just firmly don't believe it, Joe.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, Chidge. I mean, there there seems to be a, a common theme with, you know, these quote-unquote football Twitter type accounts that sort of caught controversy and, you know, they're on their 300th account in two months because they've been suspended by saying stupid stuff. I, I think it's just a, an idiotic thing where they get, you know, pleasure out of, of, you know, getting people pissed off at them or whatever it is, but it, it just comes across as, as sad and, and desperate and, it, it, you know... It's, it's one of those things that I've just had to start sort of blocking and muting people because, you know, it's just making, you know, the whole, let's say, social media experience or whatever you want to call it, just unbearable seeing these a- absolute utter out-and-out morons who you know, courting controversy every other day with their you know, ridiculous opinions. And if it's not racist comments, it's attacking people and their families and, and saying the most outlandish things that you would never say in person. Um you know hiding behind this this veil of anonymity that, that Twitter provides them um, you know comfort in or comfortable in the knowledge that very rarely do these people come unstuck in in the real world but you know I, I completely echo your sentiment you know i've I, I find it very hard to believe that these people have uh, you know been to games or, or go to games regularly because it's not a sentiment that I personally have have you know heard anyone around me I mean we both obviously sit in the same row so I mean you know we, I don't really See anyone or, or hear anyone around me who has those those sorts of opinions? No one I follow on social media has those sorts of opinions. No one that I talk to or associate with does. It just seems to be this element of, and it, it seems to be like a younger crowd who, you know, it's kind of cool to be controversial and say, you know, edgy things, you know, be hashtag edgy or whatever it is that they like to do. But it just comes across as as, as sad and a, a bit kind of desperate to me. You know, this sort of plea for attention, but. You know, it, it seems to be coming with, uh, you know, modern fandom. Every, scene, every kind of team seems to have this group of, you know, football Twitter people that think they're some sort of, you know, Jimmy Carr-esque comedian or saying stuff and, and you know, quoting things like free speech and that. But the bottom line is they're just very boring individuals with, with very little original to say for themselves apart from being offensive. So, I mean, as I said, I mean, I've, I've just made a point to just block people and mute people now because yeah, totally. it's, it's not worth the engagement. They thrive totally
0: completely on antagonism. It's just yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. It, you don't have anything going on in their lives, so it's almost as if you just try and find the opposite and go for it. You know, they think what will offend people, or oh, I'll, I'll racially abuse him, and then I'll I'll then get followers on account of that. I'm sure there are some people who actually who, who look up look look up to them, but it's yeah. uh, it's about um, it's about trying to gain status. It's just really rather inevitable, I'm afraid, because of the anonymity. So,
2: well, they need they need to do something about that, although I do believe that there was... I did see a tweet where some lad basically, you know, had been collared for it, which I'm all in favour of. But it's very... I mean, I'll give you an example, actually, because I did a bit of a weird thing on... I, I pr- hit the wrong button on, on Twitter when I was fanning around with the settings, and uh, I, I basically had my account... You know, they, they locked my account. And to get my Twitter account... It actually was the Chelsea Fancast Twitter account, even more seriously... Uh, To get it back, I actually had to, you know, email them a a photocopy of my passport, right? So, you know, there's no excuse. If they're prepared to do that for some dick like me, because actually what I did was I was trying to get the birthday of the fan cast in. And, of course, we were born in 2008. And, of course, you're not allowed to be on Twitter if you're that young. So that's what happened but i mean if if they if they were prepared to get my passport details to confirm that i I was the owner of the account, this is what they should do, and then they'll know who every little fucker with a with a weird anonymous Twitter account is they'll stop all the bots and they'll stop all the abuse because the minute you say something abusive, they know where you live but as i said i I just don't believe i mean i'm I'm not by the way trying to say you know i th- look it's a fact of life out of you know, 38,000 people, you are going to get a few people in the stadium who do hold racist views and sometimes will air them. It's a fact. I'm not trying to, like, ignore what happened last season or mitigate it at all. But I'm saying that this is very, very different. And I think the boys are both right. It's attention seeking. There's something pathological going on here. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that you might get angry. I mean, I, you know, I shouted out and called William a dozy prick yesterday because I am, you know, prone to being a bit rude when I get a bit hot under the collar. But, you know, most of the people that go there, in fact, nearly all of the people, are basically there to support the team and the players. So they're just, they're just not going to come out with this shit. So that's why I say what I say. Anyway, uh, great email, um, Daryl, and a very good point made. Uh, but there you go. Right, last one, very quickly, we've got to go, because my wife's saying, come down to the pub. So this is the, the, the. I know, you know. She never used to be here. I used to have a free reign on a Monday night, but now no more. It's like you've been up there. She says, I thought it was finished by nine. What are you still doing here? Oh, no, she's she's right. Poor poor boys as well. They, I've kept them here far too long. So enough. Uh, Freddie uh, yeah. Adam, last email. Hi, fellas. Oh, this is for you, isn't it, JK? Sorry, mate.
0: Yeah, hi, fellas. Just a quick one. Wonder what your take is on the bullshit Man City ruling today. Can't get my head round it. Seems like obvious corruption to me, but I'm sure I'm missing something because it can't be that obvious, surely. Was hoping you guys would have some insight, maybe. Keep up the podcast, though. Love listening, and it's great stuff. Thanks, Freddie. There's a problem with them uploading to Apple Podcasts at the moment, though. Hasn't been one since 27th of July. Cheers, Freddie. Well, I think what what how they got round it was they admitted it. And apparently we didn't admit it. We questioned it. So consequently, due to our our uh, wasting their time, as they put it, we we then get um, uh, we get punished and they get away with it. That was the that's what I read. Uh, Anybody else got another view? Yeah.
2: I think. Um, I think. Sorry, go on, Joe. After you. Yeah, mate. I was just
1: going to say. I think in our case, it was also the volume of infractions that we had was was significantly and 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 almost stupidly significantly higher than cities. I think they had a dozen or, or maybe two dozen at, at tops. So I think we were we were, last count, I heard someone mention that we had potentially over a hundred transfers being investigated. So, you know, it's almost ten times the number of, of infractions or infringements. So, also, city were a little bit more, as you say, transparent in their dealings with with the authorities but I think the fact that we had so many and you know we've obviously got previous that that, that hanging over us from the Ashley Cole stuff and some other stuff that probably didn't count in our favour so it didn't I don't think it's just a conspiracy I think it's really just the the number of infractions and probably the way that we went about trying to maybe deny uh, the sort of the extent of what what, what was actually happening. Well
2: I have nothing to add other than that UEFA hate us that's my uh, explanation. (laughs) Uh, but uh, I suspect that Jonathan and Joe and Joe's uh, responses are probably more accurate. Right, well done, Freddie. And by the way, I said it earlier on, but uh, you're right, there was a broken RRS, RSS link. Uh, but I have to say, actually, and I mean, I doubt if they're listening, but uh, the ACAST uh, people were brilliant when I emailed them. They, they were fantastic. Really quick response. Dealt with it really quickly. Good on them. I'm glad I'm on, the, you know, on their platform. Well played. Right, uh, thank you for all the emails this week. We love getting your emails, as you know. We always do our best to read them all out, even if the show ends up being five hours long. hasn't quite yet. It will do one day, I'm sure. If you want to email us, then it's easy. Send it to chelseafancast at gmail.com and we'll uh, try and get it in the show. Do try and uh, make sure you get that to me by a Monday morning at the absolute latest. I tend to finish the script in the afternoon. So uh, if you don't get it in in the morning, it misses the cut. And uh, Dean Mears has come up with a great idea that the emails we get are so good that we should publish them on the website. And I actually agree with that. But uh, I kind of think we need to get your permission to do so. So if you are happy for us to publish them on the website, um, can you let us know when you send them in? Uh, I think Dean's got a lot of work to do by emailing all of the people that have emailed in hitherto to see if we can get your permission retrospectively. But it would be nice because they're really good. Some of them are, are, are as good, if not better, than the blogs that I write. That's for sure. Anyway, do that and that'd be great. Okay. Okay. Uh, that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, we'll be back next Tuesday. Tuesday, and everybody. Another bloody bank holiday in England. And as you know, my wife bans me from doing podcasts on a bank holiday Monday. So we'll be back on Tuesday next week. Uh, we'll have Jonathan Kidd and the inimitable Alex, the girl who likes balls, Churchill, to look back at the Norwich versus Chelsea match, amongst other things. Now, in the meantime... Don't forget to tune into the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio between 7. I'm not sure if it's 7 and 8 or 7 and 9 this week, but I will find out. Uh, I have got the week off as uh, I'm going to the cricket in Leeds at Headingley uh, this week, so I won't be around. So join Jonathan, Clayton Beerman, and Matt Beadle this Friday to look back at the Leicester match. No, I don't mean the Leicester match, do I? Oh, I do mean the Leicester match. Yes, you will, you will look back to that. And ahead to the Norwich match do phone in join in the show and debate with them live the number to call is 0208 0208702558 and of course you can get london uh, sorry you can get love sport on any of the london digital channels uh, or through radio player tune in or lovesportradio.com. and of course like this it's available as a podcast shortly afterwards although in this case it probably won't be up until sunday because i won't be around uh, uh, but there you go you can get it on chelsefrankos.com acast apple soundcloud spotify as well as other podcast distributors and you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, uh, Jonathan at Jonathan Kid, Joe, the wonderful Joe at Joe Tweedy, and of course, check out the website, ChelseaFancast.com. Many thanks to the Chelsea Fancast bloggers for their regular content going up during the week, and you can find them at CFCGWLB, at Nick Stroudley, at Clitheroe Blue, at Dean Mears, and follow all of the Chelsea Fancast regulars. Who are at Gate Seventeen, Marco at Dan Seventy Three, at Goalie Fifty Nine, at Grocer Jack UK, and of course at CFCGWLb and at Liam underscore Toomey and at OJ Harbord. Brilliant, uh, Jonathan. As always, a lovely fun time has been had by myself in your great company.
0: Thank you. Fantastic to be on as always with with the uh, the inimitable Joe Tweedy, of course, who is uh, to where we uh, we bow down. Your, we do. Your, we genuflect. We do. We are at this moment uh, genuflecting we on do. my knees. We,
2: yeah. we didn't quite genuflect on the video little teaser thing we did, but we were very nice about Joe on that. I don't know if he's seen it, but we were very nice about him. Yeah, I going. did
1: appreciate
2: that. <laughs> on, he did. He did see it. Bloody hell!
1: Horribly.
2: Yes, yes. It always it I'd be honest, Joe. It amazed me when it. I mean, I think JK and I are going to do more of this, like as an antidote to the the people who shout and scream down, uh, you know, a phone <laughs> and and put it on. I think ours are, are just completely bollocks, basically, and I think that's exactly why they—that's exactly why they should go up there. Uh, I think it's great. They're sweet. Whistle. No, but I, I meant bollocks in a really nice way, not a pejorative sense. I—I I just think it's great fun. We should. I'm really begin. I'm warming to the idea, J.K. I think we should do them. I think they're a real lovely antidote to everybody trying to be serious about it. I mean, we're serious, but we're us, so it can't be too serious. <laughs> I mean, I, I tell you what—what—what what, what, uh, you know—turned me round to this, Joe, was the fact that Alex filmed me downing a glass of 8%, 9% Belgian beer when we went on our little kind of World War 1 trip uh, back in July and she just did that with me and Tony yabbering away like a couple of old alcoholic yadars, and she put it up as a video on Twitter and it got fucking 5,000 views it just shows you people will watch any old tat won't they so there we go so expect any old tat from me and jonathan after every <laughs> home game and of course we'll be bigging up the legend that is joe tweedy every time we do it we'll be sure to do that joe brilliant really appreciate your time as always mate you've been fantastic as have you jonathan uh make sure you hold the fort for me on friday while i'm up in yorkshire getting drunk yeah. uh and uh yeah, yeah indeed and i will be back uh, with you lot on tuesday uh thank you very much to the mixler people for you know putting up with us for the last two and a half hours and uh, enjoy the show those of you who are listening as a podcast thank you for listening see you next time until then keep it blue keep it carefree and keep it chills yeah. up